A new Star Wars journey begins in the place all good journeys begin. At, well, the beginning. This Star Wars Day, I'm excited to introduce the new Star Wars Canon Timeline Podcast, where we will piece together the complete story of that galaxy far, far away, in timeline order, from the dawn of the Jedi through the great unknown following the sequel trilogy. This is a podcast for both Star Wars superfans and complete newbies. Listen to the short intro episode now to hear how it works and what to expect over the coming weeks as we set the stage for the new television series, The Acolyte, which we will be covering with weekly breakdowns. Subscribe to the Star Wars Canon Timeline podcast wherever you listen to take part in one of the most epic and expansive stories ever told, following all the twists and turns from start to finish. May the 4th be with you all, all month and beyond. Welcome to the Foundation Podcast. We're the Lorehounds, your guides to psychohistory. I'm David. I'm John, and this is our season wrap-up coverage of the Apple TV Plus original series, Foundation. In this podcast, we're going to do a discussion of the entirety of season two with two special guests, Marilyn R. Pekila and Anthony Ladon, or other, otherwise known as Maester Anthony. And um, they may or may not stick around for listener feedback, but we have a ton of listener feedback that John and I are definitely going to cover. Be sure to stick around to the end of the podcast for programming notes about our podcasting schedule for the rest of September. A reminder that you can find all our podcasts on Spotify and YouTube, as well as all the other major podcast platforms. And we'd like to ask if you're enjoying what we do and we've got a spare moment, leave us a rating and or a review on Apple Podcasts. Apple is the big SEO engine and the more reviews that we get there, the more people can find us, even as far as the outer reach. Not a lot of planets left there for people. No. Um, also, I, I got to tell you, David, I don't know if yes. you've been looking at the Apple reviews, but someone left us a lovely review that had two stars, and I think they just clicked oh, no. the wrong button. So <laughs> thank you so much for the review, and I hope that if that was you, <laughs> you, 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 you find a moment to, to change they, that. You can't edit them. Once they're up, they're up. So, yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, for ad-free episodes, early access, and exclusive content, Visit patreon.com slash the lorehounds. You can subscribe and support us for as little as $3 a month. You can also start a free trial now, which is very cool. And I saw a lot of people are taking advantage of that, trying us out, seeing if they like the old second breakfast and whatnot. And so far, everyone's stuck around. So we must be doing something right. Yep, for sure. And you can also get annual subscriptions, too, if that works for uh, better what for your day. budgeting. What um, a day. It is. It's a dawn. It's a dawn of a new world. Uh, while this is our last Foundation podcast until season three returns, our Foundation email address is going to remain active. So feel free to use that to reach out to us. You can also contact us anytime about any shows that we're covering. We've got a contact form and a voicemail feature over on our website, thelorehounds.com. You can send those emails to empire at thelorehounds.com or join the conversation on our Discord server. Uh, we've got this fun community where a lot of people are chatting away in these channels dedicated to all the shows we're covering. 
And there's been a lot of chatter there about Foundation, Ahsoka, Wheel of Time. I know the book spoiler thread of the Wheel of Time has been active now that we've gotten more hints about different characters. Nice. In nice. episode five. So I'm staying out of there. Yep. I, you, as you should. In. But yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, we're having a great time over there. Cool. Well, John, triple blessings to you now that our <laughs> triple season coverage is over. I am glad to have a little bit of breather. I've been actually actually able to watch some other shows that I want to catch up on. And stuff. I know I'm back on the One Piece grind. No, oh, nice, a great time, very good. I, uh, I'm going to be king of the pirates now. Now I, I have time to pursue my dream. Well, I am uh, excited to hear you and uh, your take. You and Moses is your take on the uh, One Piece live action. So yeah, it sounds like yeah. it got good reviews. It did. It was shockingly good. Anyway. Unlike we're not Cowboy here to Bebop, talk about one. Sadly. Oh, yeah. Cowboy Bebop was very bad. Yeah. But we're anyway. not here to discuss those <laughs> anime adaptations. We're here to discuss the adaptation of Isaac Asimov's Foundation series. John, David. John. Oh, David. John. Who's going to do it first? Go. You go. You go we're getting go. punchy here at the end of our triple coverage. Wait. Yes. <laughs> it's not even. It's the beginning of the podcast. And we're already punchy. <laughs> but the end of our triple coverage. Fine. It I'll is. go first. I loved it. I thought it was a step up from season one in every way. I mentioned this to you, David. I was nervous to cover Foundation after watching season one because I was like, what if this is worse than season one Mm -hmm. and I don't like it? Because season one was serviceable, but it had issues mostly from COVID and mostly from needing to find its footing in this vast world that needed a lot of onboarding. Yep. Yep. And And a lot of building that they got to go through. And I thought to myself, if this is a step down from season one, I'm not going to have a good time. And it's going to be hard to talk about. You and I talk about all the time. We don't want to podcast about shows we don't like because it's just not fun for anybody, including the listener. Yeah. And from episode one, I was really impressed with this season. The writing was tighter. The humor was there. I know David Goyer said that was intentional. The pacing was better. I felt the like Lee I pacing was better. <laughs> the Lee pacing was better <laughs> and more. Uh, clad. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and and I, ju- I just thought it was operating at a much higher level. The openness of David Goyer to interact with the community so much. And I know he mentioned on a different podcast that it's partly because of the writer strike. He's, he's able to do so many interviews and whatnot. But right. He's got time. Um, <laughs> right. Right. But it, it has been a big help because I, I definitely view the show differently getting inside the showrunner's mind a little bit. Right. Right. And overall, like the characters seemed fuller this season, even mm-hmm. the ones that we only spent a little bit of time with, like Hober and Polly. Uh, the the new additions like those and Constant were great. The development of the different Cleons was, of course, amazing. We knew Lee Pace was going to bring it, but he really did. Uh, but even Dusk and Dawn were knocking it out of the park portraying different versions of Cleon yeah, were yeah. really really selling me on these are different people and that is such a hard thing to do and I I can't believe they pull it off so well right uh Laura Dern not Laura Dern <laughs> Laura Bjorn Bjorn I think is how we pronounce her name Laura well Dern. she not Laura Dern we're not in Jurassic <laughs> Park <laughs> uh she was operating Perhaps on a higher level than that, even because mm-hmm. I've never felt more emotion for a robot than I have, I have in this. Right. And I've watched Westworld and Westworld mm-hmm. tried to get me to feel that much emotion for a robot. But this was truly something else. And it, it was great because this was not the central part of the show, but it was such a rich 
piece of the show that it could have been its own show. Right. And I'm just so impressed. And I cannot wait till season three. I I think that the stakes are set up really well for season three. And I, I am looking forward to seeing whenever it comes out with all these yeah. strikes going on. Yeah. Hopefully, hopefully we'll get that resolved and everybody can get back to work and we can um, find some equality for the people that really make these shows. Um, right. You know, right. it's yeah, you've got to have a company and you've got to have some people who know how to run businesses, but you need mm-hmm. creatives, you need actors, you need uh, grips and gaffers and best boys and all kinds of stuff. Mm-hmm. And all of those people need to have work that is respected in, and have dignity in their work. And yeah, you don't get that with the inequalities. So and, anyway, and that aside. that is, Well, oh, something I want to add to that is yes, you please. have talked about a lot, and I agree with you, and you've been done a great job highlighting this, is how many little details are there Mm, how many references to different cultures and different historical pieces and that that just could not be done by an ai you know that really tap into varied experiences being in the writer's room or look at laura baron's uh performance of demerzel a human playing a robot who is pretending to have human emotions the layers of complexity yeah, and the ability yeah. for her to deliver that performance is exceptional. Or Lee P- Pace, you know, being one one actor but playing these multi generational roles. Terrence Mann mm-hmm. and I, I apologize, I forget Dawn's uh, the actor uh, who plays Dawn. Um, but all of them just bringing these super nuanced performances. They have a hard enough time in video games to make characters that are nuanced and walk appropriately yeah, and, yeah. you know and that's with uh, motion capture even you know exactly like you, you have people modeling it for you and you still can't do it right so yeah it's it's a really it's a really important thing and and i really just hope that we can we can get everybody back to work not only for our own mm-hmm. sake as podcasters but for yeah for all those people who have families on the line as well as as um as their loved ones who are in the in the industry anyway yeah, and well, I, I to counterpoint that, I did just see a TikTok of Arnold Schwarzenegger singing I Want to Dance with Somebody. Okay. So uh, AI can make some art. Oh, that thing, right? Yeah, yeah, those, <laughs> those kinds of things. Yeah, sure. I'm just joking. I'm yeah, just yeah, joking. Yeah. Anyway, give us your thoughts, David. Well, I think I agree with pretty much everything that you said. Um, I have three, you know, just to, um, just to build on off of what you said, but then just the three things that I want to highlight for me out of that, which are this season built from episode to episode, from episode one through episode 10. And we could, I don't want to litigate episode 10, right? We, there's a whole podcast on, we can talk, you can go back and listen to that. Um, the season overall was a triumph. And one of the things that it, why it's a triumph in my book is that every episode built on the previous episode laid out questions and and mysteries but also then built on the on what was set up in previous episodes one two three episodes prior so everything was there for us that felt really good and the action and the drama just kept rising and rising and rising and and ultimately to episode nine which was by far my favorite i think what was it six i think i was saying or five back in the middle of the season where i messaged you like three or four times oh this is my favorite episodes Nine is just clearly hands down uh, yeah, my favorite. Yeah. So, Although nine ended in a place that compelled me to break my own rule <laughs> and, and keep and, watching. Right. 
So, so I love that the it's a season that was able to build over the course of its its run. I love a show that can roll out big ideas, determination, determinism versus three free will, faith versus belief, um, technology versus you know ancient lore, knowledge, what have you. Um, the encyclopedization of all human knowledge, uh, human societies rising and falling, and order versus, you know, or disorder versus order, um, the politics of these things, this Shakespearean nature of Demerzel trapped, being trapped by immortality. Who is it on our Discord was saying uh, something about that today? Um, Sub-Zero uh, was was saying such a, what a tragic figure she is and how, how Shakespearean. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, absolutely. Um, so I love a show that can roll out these really big concepts, but then I don't feel like I'm being preached to. I don't feel like no, no. it's forcing ideas on me. It's it's setting up um, these conundrums and these circumstances and these conditions, winding it up, and then letting it play out. And then we can see how different things are, are going to... It's like a little... It's a perfect theater of the mind kind of thing. Like, what happens if this happens? Mm -hmm. What happens if that person says this and does this? It's It's a fantastic little micro experiment of what if... So I, yeah, which is I, even even more impressive. I just want to add yeah. that Asimov's foundation is extremely preachy at times, right. and does use <laughs> characters as mouthpieces for his idea. I think it's I true. think that's how David Goyer phrased it. Even mm -hmm. is these characters are largely mouthpieces for Asimov's idea, and and okay, that's a stylistic choice, but I don't think that fits very well in our modern TV canon. Right, and this was a marvelous way to take a lot of those big ideas and turn them into stories that will resonate with a modern audience. Having a show like this that can can rule these big ideas out, again, uh, success, triumph. And then I think the last thing I wanted to flag was that when you have a production that is coming together, that the, the production crew, the writers, the directors, the actors, uh, all of that coming together and it's in an environment of success and bringing our best, bringing our A game, whatever you know, corporate speak, team building thing you want to uh, apply to this. When people are given an environment to excel in and to bring their their um, their highest selves and the and their most passion and and creativity in in a way that they can achieve it, and when they can achieve those kinds of goals. It's really great. And to see Lee Pace, the performances that he were he was giving were just incredible. Laura Bin's, uh, uh, Barron's uh, performances, they, they are excelling. And, and I love that for the people that make the shows because then they can turn around and go, look what we made and we are proud of it and we are happy by right. it. And it's made people happy. It's made people think. And for me, that's another important part of of. The shows I watch is, is you know, do, did people get to excel? Did, did people get to bring their best creativity to it? And I think on for this show, it's it's across the board, all of those things. So. Well, cool. I think it's safe to say we both like the season a lot. <laughs> I think so. It's very safe. I think we've we'll gushed see, enough about it. <laughs> we will. We'll see where it shakes out in our end uh, end of the year roundup. And remember, everybody, you can there, there'll be a publicly accessible version of our second breakfast podcast, which is our Patreon exclusive. But we always make the Christmas one free for everybody, and that's where we go over our top tens for the year. 
And mm-hmm. uh, I, it, no doubt, the uh, foundation's going to be very high up, but I just don't know where it's going to rank yet. Right so. now, it's in my top three. For sure. I'm not sure where, yeah. but it's in my top three right now. Yeah. We've got we've got a few more shows to come this year, and then I got to sit down. I was trying to clean up my my list already so that I'm not <laughs> freaking out at the end of the year. It's like doing your taxes. Like, oh, my God, it's April 14th, <laughs> and I haven't even started. Right. Well, Loki's not making my list. I'm going to promise that. But anyway. <laughs> Ouch. Anyway, now I'm probably not even going to watch it. That's the problem. Okay. Um, well, you can listen to our coverage when you're I can listen and to your coverage. I just, uh, I'm just not a not a big Marvel guy. I think we've nope. we've established that. I've we tried have. to tried to join you on the Secret Invasion, and and I, I don't oh, think no, that Secret, worked out. <laughs> Secret Invasion was was exceptionally problematic. What, what a show for me to choose to come back in on. Anyway. And, and, and what a show. Yeah. Anyway. Anyway, let's not go there. Let's not get into it. Uh, so, yeah, but new MCU suit. So so stay tuned for thoughts on Secret Invasion. Just not mine. Anyway, I think it's time we yes. uh, welcome our guests. So let's take a quick break. When we get back, we will welcome them. And we're back. David, now that we're back from our break, who do we have with us today? Well, we are very fortunate. You know, we were thinking about who we could invite uh, to come talk with us about the show. And I remember we had a great conversation with Anthony at the end of Andor. And of course, we talked to Marilyn all the time. And I thought, hey, Marilyn loves Foundation. Anthony's enjoying the show. Let's get these two folks together because they haven't been on Allure Hounds podcast together. So welcome. Ye- you know what's funny is yes, that what? they were both on the Andor wrap-up, but separately. Separately, that's right. Is that right? <laughs> Interesting. That is true, yeah. <laughs> so Marilyn Arpukila, our favorite Tolkien scholar, and turns out to be also a bit of an Asimov uh, uh, expert. Well, I don't know, expert, but you're a big Aficiando. Asimov aficionado. That's right. And uh, Anthony, Maester Anthony, is that, uh, are we calling you? I... I go by Anthony, and uh, okay. <laughs> I, for for the, the time being, you you can refer to me as uh, Becky's arse. Becky's arse. I like Becky's <laughs> arse better than Becky's arsehole. I, tonight, I do smell. I do taste like Becky arse's. Her ass smells. Is that what he said? Yeah, something like that. Yeah. We have to ask Harry Smeldon. <laughs> oh, but I'm. Sh- she, she who makes jokes. Um, <laughs> Anthony, really quick, uh, just in case there are folks out there listening and they don't know you or necessarily know how we know you, do you want to just give a little podcasting profile of yourself? Yeah, sure. I, I've been working through the George R.R. R. Martin Ice and Fire series for a few years now. We're in the middle of Clash over at Electric Boogaloo. And then uh, for the Lorehounds, Steve and I review... Sometimes good movies, sometimes bad movies. <laughs> uh, sometimes we have a lot of fun reviewing bad movies. <laughs> so over at uh, uh, Properly Howard, this last week we covered The, the Departed. And yes. uh, next week we're going to look at the Nick Cage reboot of Wicker Man, which I've never seen. I've been seen. looking forward to that all season. <laughs> but I've heard I it's, wait. it's very, very bad. So we're going to have a lot of fun with that. Yeah, you and Steve have been on fire this season, so really enjoying your coverage of that. 
Um, cool. And Marilyn, you want to just give us a quick profile of, uh, you and, um, you know, what you're, what you're up to these days. Sure. I am, uh, academic librarian emerita from Colby college in Maine, where I retired about four years ago and promptly discovered the world of podcasts and discovered that there were people out there who wanted to hear from me. And that was magnificent and wonderful fun. And, uh, Met you guys very early on in your Rings of Power coverage. Yeah, that's right. Responded to your question about what's a Barovian, and the rest is history, right? That's it. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) And you've joined us on a lot of uh, a lot of different shows and a lot of different topics. You've been very generous in allowing me to come on and uh, express myself. You've been generous with your knowledge and and time. So yeah. And uh, we don't have to announce anything, but I know you have some I- podcasting ideas of your own bubbling in the background, and yes, I do. Working through those, and yes, so I we're, do. We will Stay be tuned. eagerly excited. Uh, we are eagerly, we are eager and excited for watch this space. And I just got news. back from Oxenmoot. Oh yes, I delivered a paper on oh. the lament of Boromir and its literary influences, which was well received, and that was a lot of fun. And finally, getting to meet, see in person people who I've been exchanging views and whatnot with oh, that's know, great. via Zoom and yeah. online and stuff for a long time. Kind of like when David was able to come and swing by generously yes. for an afternoon. Yes, to, visit uh, you, visit in person. Visit in person. It's and I think fun. for our next Silmarillion podcast, um, Silmarillion Stories podcast, we were going to have you pop on really quick and give us a briefing on how Oxenmoot went this year and some of the interesting things that are going on. I will the be Oxford happy board. to do it and, and I will do my Oxford best part. to be brief. Fabulous. Great. Okay. Well, so we're here to talk about Foundation Season 2. Um, and I think what from what you all have sent in and some of the things that John and I were thinking of, we're, we're, we're talking sort of more big picture-y stuff and, and not necessarily get it, you know, we can get into the details of individual episodes and whatnot, but I feel there's a lot of uh, interesting big topics floating out here. But before we dive into that, I would love to just get your hot takes for the season. What did you think as a viewer of a season of television? Where, um, what are your thoughts? What are your feelings? What are your highs? What are your lows? All that stuff. So Marilyn, why don't you start us off with that? Sure thing. Well, overall impression, season two, definitely up to game from season one. Uh-huh. I mm-hmm. really thought it was so much better. They, I think once they had established themselves and of course did a lot of track laying, as we know, um, they just started taking risks all over the place and it was breathtaking. It was just absolutely wonderful to see them stretching and growing. Um, the production level quality continued magnificently, lots of interesting character development and new things coming in. Um, little, little hesitant about the very last episode Mm -hmm. um, in, in some details, but, um, Overall, fabulous season, and the worst part of it is we don't know when season three is going to be coming around, mm-hmm. and that, that's probably the hardest part to take of all. Mm-hmm. But it's fun to see how they're bringing in details, not just from the three books, but from the auxiliary, if you will, the two prequels and, and the one sequel that come along, and all of the stuff about robotics. Um, very interesting. My partner is now listening to iRobot as a result of all of this, and very very interested to see the bits and pieces that have been taken in and some interesting differences and choices too. So that's been fun to track. 
I've been tempted to, to maybe pick up some of the iRobot books myself. It's been in the back of my mind. I, mm-hmm, I want to know mm-hmm. more about Demerzel. So I downloaded Foundation and Empire. It's it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> I swore I wouldn't read it, and here I am. Good there for you, go. you John. Nice. I I would like to echo a lot of what Marilyn said. I did enjoy this season significantly more than season one. I felt like season one, the thing that was most interesting to me was Empire and the the, yes. the cloning successions and the you know the the day and the dawn and the dusk characters and genetic drift and all of that business that to me that was the most fascinating part which of course is a show only invention right so that to me i was like i i trust these guys i feel like they are doing something that the original book didn't do and i like it better than the rest (laughs) the rest of what i'm watching (laughs) right um so yeah so at that point i think well, if I can learn to trust the creative acumen of the showrunners, I'm almost willing to see the kinds of risks that Marilyn was talking about. Um, in addition to that, show looks like a million bucks. It just, mm-hmm. it looks so great. And for season two, I felt like this was Demerzel's season. I felt mm. like this season was... She was the most fascinating thing to me about um, about this particular season. I couldn't wait to get back to the Demerzel plot throughout, although I was kind of fascinated by the 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 psychic planet. What was that? <laughs> Their little cults. Ignis. The, yeah, the Ignis the, plot the was also very interesting to me, too. Um, I thought that Hober Mallow brought a little bit of uh, swashbuckling star wars ish mm-hmm. characteristic rogue right yeah, yeah right right Han Solo um, vibes brother totally. constant was was fantastic i i never didn't like a, a scene she was in i'm really looking forward to her in season three you know fingers crossed on season three right um but but demerzel really stole the show this this season yeah all of the things that they're exploring there. And let me also interject and say that this show sounds magnificent. Mm. I adore Bear McCreary's score, and I can't wait for <clears throat> future developments along those lines. John, are we <laughs> saying anything at this point? Um, I, I think we can safely say we've scheduled uh, yes. our, our talk. We're going to be talking to Bear McCreary next month. So stay tuned on that. We'll, we'll be talking to him not just about Foundation, but about Rings of Power, too. Oh, we fantastic. Wanna, we want to get some... Wait some input on on his process and whatnot. And if you're um, if you're a subscriber, uh, if you're one of our lore masters or one of our co-hosts, we're going to be soliciting uh, all of you for some questions to be able to uh, mm-hmm. add Very to cool. that show. Yeah. He so. zoomed in at Oxenmoot and he's just a fabulous, fabulous speaker. That's great. Seems like a fantastic guy. And, and I have read a bunch of his tweets and his writings about his process and, you know, his like reversible Sauron theme, things like that. And it's, it's fascinating. And I can't wait to dig into his mind a little bit. Yeah. The whole (laughs) new tech that they invented for him for this show. I mean, yeah. Mind blown. Yeah. I want to echo to something, Anthony, that you were saying about the, the way that the show looks good. 
And one of the things, and, and then the esteem and the respect that you have for the, the people who are making it. The one thing that I'm really impressed by David Goyer is that he's a smart showrunner. He's, he's deploying his assets and his financial resources smartly. He's like, okay, well, you know, we've got this much budget and we're going to allocate it for this and for that. And we're going to get a lot of excitement out of this thing. And it can be very simple. And then this thing's got to be much more complex. And so, you know, and when you hear him in different interviews uh, with, on other shows or when he's on, on Reddit and stuff like that, he talks about how the choices that they have to make while they're creating the show and in some places how they go full hmm. full out and other times they've got to pull back and balance off of something else. And it just, again, and I go with you on this, is that these, not only Goyer, but all his, the team and the writer and everybody he's working with, they're making really smart choices. And maybe even if a, a choice doesn't always, you know, hit a hundred percent, it's still, I can respect it because it's an honest choice that they're making and they're balancing mm, mm. A, a lot of things. And so there's a lot of authenticity in the production of the show. And so, mm, yeah, mm -hmm. I, I really, I really like that. They, they try to make the show look as good as it can because they know that that's an important thing for t modern television viewers. And so right. to balance that against who are we going to hire and how we're going to build the set and what's the CGI going to look like? Yeah, it's just, it's really phenomenal. You know, I got to say that this season really cemented for me that Apple TV is the current king of hmm. science fiction that looks great, mm -hmm. right? I mean, mm -hmm. even if not every show hits on the on the storytelling and things like that, which I think most of them do, I, I think that every show has looked amazing. That's and true. kudos to them for really putting in the money for these big science fiction budgets. Yeah. Well, let's uh, roll in. We asked for a few topics from each of you to uh, use as a framework to you know, talk about the season. And um, I think I want to start, Anthony, with one of yours, which is the AI long con. Yeah, <laughs> right. right. Yeah. I was like, hmm, that's an intriguing topic. And uh, so, yeah. So what's your what's your thought behind this idea? Well, this really got answered in the penultimate episode for me, but I was always wondering where did Demerzel come from and how mm. long has she been around? Mm -hmm. And so I haven't, you know, I know that Goyer's talked about like her true identity elsewhere. I haven't listened to any of that stuff. Okay. Um, I just listened to the Lorehounds. I'm faithful to the Lorehounds. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I, I'm spoiler free. Flatterly will get you everywhere. To that. <laughs> but I, in episode nine, is it was it episode nine? The yes. penultimate. All right. That was the big Demerzel one, yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You got the sense that she could wait millennia. Mm -hmm. And for her, it was sort of like, well, I guess at that point it's like, what what are your options? <laughs> what are your <laughs> options? <laughs> but but it's funny for me, it feels like believably we have a character in the show who has a different relationship to time and that is hard to pull off. And I think that they did that in such a way that makes me feel like this character is, has believable limitations. You know, I think that the immediate temptation with sort of a super intelligence is to make them godlike. 
But what they did with Demerzel is they gave her enough limitations to her power so that she actually had to work to get where she was. And on top of that, I feel like even if she has to wait a couple hundred years or even 600 years before empire kind of swallows itself, what's the big deal? Why, why, you know, that's, that's a blink of an eye to her. So Mm. for me, I feel like the AI long con was really, really satisfying to me because believably she feels like a person with a different relationship to time than every other character in this show. Right. Right. And that's one of the things that um, Goyer and the writers, I think, were really challenged by was that the Asimov story is over millennia. Mm. And how do you make that into a television show that can be interesting and with the same characters? And so you're not it's not an anthology series Mm -hmm. that reboots every year. And so then to make a character to take an existing Mm -hmm. canon you know, something from the Asimov stew, so to speak, <laughs> and pull one. I don't want to, I don't want to, you know, give too many hints away. There's lots of hints out there, but um, to be able to do that. And then to, as that, that character is a through line for us in the story. Well, and the, as, the key difference between her and the empire clone factory is that every single, <laughs> every single person that they decant to be mm-hmm. day has that legacy question. Like, how am I going to distinguish myself mm-hmm. from all of my brothers? Am I, am I just, you know, am I, am I just one more uh, emperor on the conveyor belts or am I going to like be remembered? I'm, I'm, how am I going to be painted on this wall? Demerzel doesn't There's have a that wagging problem. flagellum, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Demerzel does not have that problem. And she no. doesn't have to distinguish herself from a previously, you know, previous incant, uh, decantation of herself. Mm-hmm. And I really wonder if Cleon the first ever foresaw that problem, mm-hmm. because he only thought of himself as a unit, as a as right. a whole. But it seems to me that this is basic human nature. Even though you're supposed to be the same, you want to distinguish yourself. He even gives. Brothers Dusk and Dawn crap about it, right? He says, well, if you're going to start infighting, then this whole thing is ruined. You know, you have to be the same person. Something I I wanted to cut in with before was this whole idea of she she can wait forever. I'm just realizing as you're saying that we open this season with an artificial intelligence construct going insane for being locked in a box (laughs) for 138 years. Mm-hmm. Why is it so different for Harry Seldon, digital Seldon, than it is for Demerzel? I've got an, I've got an idea here, but I'd like to hear someone else answer first. Well, I, I think it's because he is human from the get-go and just had mm. no concept, no expectation of living mm-hmm. that long or existing in that fashion. A robot, by its nature, unless, you know really intense destruction comes along expects to live outlast whatever and she's got 18,000 years of practice mm. sure sure <laughs> you know another thing that's occurred to me with this whole business of you know long story over time i keep bouncing in my head between this and rings of power mm. because mm-hmm. they're faced with the same problem mm-hmm. 
And the two shows chose two very different solutions for it. Mm, And I got to say, I like the foundation solution better. And the sad thing is, Galadriel could have stood in for Demerzel. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Sure. I guess guess the question is, what do you do with the humans in Rings of Power? Because we don't have cryosleep in Rings of Power. Exactly. Exactly. So they had, I think they had a tougher job than they, than you would in science fiction where you can kind of hand weave away. Ah, they went to sleep for a hundred years. Don't worry about it. But you see, you can tell more stories, which is in essence sure. what that was. But I realize I'm, I'm getting off track here. So I, I will. Anthony, I will you, that had, thought. you had a thought. It was a lot like Marilyn's. The okay. original, the original Harry Seldon was a human with human anxieties. And mm-hmm. so then, then imagine construing those digitally for thousands of years. You, you don't, you don't have that same problem with Demerzel. Not to say that mm-hmm. there isn't some kind of simulated emotion, you know, analogous to that for Demerzel, but uh, not, not the same default settings. I would say. Okay. No, no need to shout. I was conscious. <laughs> well, Gail Dornick. <laughs> she says it in her own way, though. She says, "I'm. I just. I'm awake. I'm awake the yeah, whole time. Yeah, I yeah. just wait." Right. Yeah. That was her right. way to say the same thing. And yeah. Harry never had any ex- had, and no expectation of ever being disembodied and conscious. That, that too, right? And and our consciousness right. and our physical body are very tightly intertwined. Intertwined. If if we're functioning on all cylinders, yes. If yeah. we're not, then there's a different kind of problem. Right. <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. I think this this is an interesting crossroad here because I you know we've been talking both about time and memory, and those are two things, Marilyn, that you have on your notes. Do you have an inclination? Do you want to swing into the memory or swing into the time? Because they're also just facets of this. Uh, you know, sort of gemstone like uh, construct that we have here. Prime radiant like? I don't yes, know. Yes, <laughs> even. Well, the, the, the thing about time, I was very interested in the mechanisms which we've been talking about by which the show handles these vast sweeps of time. Mm-hmm. You know, the cloning of the creons and the, the cryopods and so forth. Um, and I did want to raise the question um, are they by and large successful or are they cheating a little bit too? From a television standpoint, from a storytelling yeah. standpoint. Yeah, from a storytelling standpoint. You know, the whole thing of, oh, well, yeah, we'll, we'll have Harry and Gail survive throughout. We'll just throw them in the chiropod whenever we need to jump ahead. And I think Goyer's years. even, you know, some people have asked him that. Uh, the Bald Move guys, I think we're talking with him about this a little bit. And mm-hmm. how, how many times can you get away with that before it right. starts stops working or starts seeming ridiculous? It's or maybe you one. introduce another possible means of dealing with it, which mm-hmm. I don't know. I mean, you know, we've had shows where people have been frozen for a thousand years and then wake up and, yeah, you right. know, so there was a, a more clumsy, perhaps. I don't know, John, Anthony, any thoughts about the, the shortcut of the cryopods and the... I mean, I agree that you can't keep doing this, right? It can't be every single season they go to sleep at the end. I but... don't understand why not. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you, true. you've got it you, you've got I think it, it would just start it's feeling like every tired. single time luke skywalker turns on a lightsaber it turns on so these guys have a different kind <laughs> of technology and every single time they want to use it they can use it i mean why wouldn't you if you were harry selden or someone who cared about psycho history 
why wouldn't you want to see the next crisis? Mm. Yeah. But that's not how he planned it out in the initial. He planned that he would not be there. True. Well, I don't know if that's true because he planned to be digital forever. He planned to be double. <laughs> how how do you how do you see that, John? Where does that come from? He was going to be digital and on uh Helicon. That was that was his original plan with Oh, Raish. okay. And okay. so Remember Digital Raish Harry downloaded was gonna, him. Right, was gonna right, be right, on right. Helicon forever running the foundation, it seemed like the second foundation. And right. then other digital Harry was gonna be on Terminus handling plan B, being the left hand. Fuck I'm the left hand. Anyway. <laughs> that was um, so good. That was a great scene. Yeah. 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 But, I'm still having to 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 shift my mind into these new approaches because I'm it it's very different from the books, I probably yeah. have to say. Yeah, it is. Yeah, but I I mean, I guess I would say, you know, we asked Goyer, are you going to take a more book centric approach and have different characters be the focus of later seasons? And he answered in a much more straightforward way than I thought he would. He said, <laughs> oh, two or three. He, he said three characters will make it to the final season. Two characters will make it all the way. And I was like, what? That is just <laughs> such a direct answer. Um and but but I will say before this last episode, I would have said that Salver Hardin was one of the ones who made it to the end. Agreed. Yeah. 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 That was a that was one of their really huge risks, I think, that they took. Mm -hmm. and, and yet it falls back in line with the books because of course Salver Hardin doesn't survive even to the end of the first one, I think. You know, um, if yeah, they want to yeah, bring uh, back Salver Hardin. They can absolutely do that. I mean, Please don't. They, they do the, yeah, they that's, all kinds that's of magic with the this show. <laughs> For well, a lot see, of reasons. Is, now you're touching on one of my other questions, Anthony, which is the difference between magic and tech and fate. But this is a show with magic. That, it basically they've got a magic it is, box. It is. And you right. can put anything in it. You could put a, a you know, Arthur a rock in a magic box and it'll come out a human. I don't know what they do, but Yeah. But another thing about time that I've been puzzling over is is they're, to my mind, they're really kind of vague about how much time passes, you know, because we're, we're cutting back and forth between two or three or four different threads. And I'm really confused about how much time did Talon spend teaching Gail? I mean, she shows a remarkable increase in her capacity and her strength without my sensing that any time particularly had passed. Mm -hmm. And also... Um, the simultaneity of, you know, when this is happening on Trantor, what's happening on Ignis kind of thing that they also kind of were kind of vague on to my mind. And yeah. And on the official podcast, Goyer did confirm that when Salvor paid a visit to Dr. Selden, the, the digital Selden in the, in the thing. Left that, Selden. <laughs> hmm? Left Lefty Selden. Selden. <laughs> left Selden. Yes. Left Selden. I like that. That timeline is not in line is not concurrent and simultaneous with other timelines. So these timelines are all slightly shifted off, uh, uh, off, I don't want to say axis from each other, but in, you know, they're not, mm -hmm. they're not all perfectly lined up. They're and I agree at the end of the season, when they put Gail and, and Harry to sleep, did they spend a year training the mentalics? Did they just do it right away? It felt like it was just right away. So I think there was, that's a that's a production show writing question. I think that that it was left a little bit vague. Yeah, and maybe they'll do you know flashback types of things or whatever. But it really did seem like a pretty abrupt piece out, folks. You know, yeah. we we freed you from Talon. Now 
go go forth and do good. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, how what are they supposed to be learning? How are they supposed to learn? Um, what are they supposed? Yeah, yeah. I, I'm just gonna head canon that, and and for the record, I think that that's not the way to do it. I think that they should be a little bit more explicit in the show. But I'm gonna head canon. They spent a year or two training them with mm-hmm. here's the fundamentals of, uh, you know, psychohistory. Here's a textbook. Go do this for a hundred years. We'll be we'll be back every couple years. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Which, at the same time, you know, superimposed over all of this is is the what I call the Sumerian myth of Inanna and the dying and rising god. Mm-hmm. Mm, say more, please. Well, this is um, the very er- one of the very earliest recorded stories of the mm-hmm. dying and rising god uh, Inanna, queen of heaven and earth. Dumuzi was her human consort. Um, she takes a journey to the underworld and upon return finds out that her husband Demuzi has really been lording it up, whereas everybody else has been grieving her loss and fearing for her disappearance. And so she has to send somebody in her place when she leaves the underworld because nobody's ever done this before. Mm-hmm. And she sends Demuzi because he has refused to mourn her while she was gone. And so this then Dumuzi runs away and his sister comes along and says, Oh, I'll, I'll, I'll take the hit for you. And so the Dumuzi and his sister do this cyclical descent and return kind of thing. Whereas the Mm -hmm. goddess remains in place overall. Okay. And I'm just seeing, well, you saw the list of half a dozen different religious references that that I can see um, rightly or wrongly Mm -hmm. because there is this really fine line that they're treading between, um, sci-fi and fantasy in a way or, or tech and myth. Right. Right. Well, I think this kind of segues, uh, into a, uh, thought that Anthony, you had, mm. you wrote down here on your notes, how does a storyteller make fake religion feel authentic? Um, what, what's your thought there? And, and, you know, we got know. Marilyn, I mean, I could talking ask, about, I could ask you all this. Um, mm. but my feeling is that, I rarely see I rarely see stories that have religious elements depicted that feel authentic to me. Mm-hmm. Um, same thing with academia. Like I, I I rarely see a show that like explores what the culture is like, you know, the the in libraries and hallways <laughs> and offices and classrooms. Whenever I see that on the screen, I feel like this person had a, has a very limited perspective on the sociology involved mm. mm-hmm. and the, the politics of these relationships. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel that same way about religion, and I feel like sometimes these things are very superficial. I feel like the way that you make a fake religion feel authentic on the screen is that you invest time in the sociology of the people. And I feel like for me, the empire is a stand in for the Roman Imperial cult. Right. And in so many ways. And even, even though I think day says at one point, you know, even, even my brothers and I never cast ourselves as gods and mm. and Selden says, mm-hmm. "Oh, that's debatable." And the reason why it's a debatable is because they're absolutely casting themselves as gods, <laughs> right? They're even they're even triune, you know, in this in, mm. in a sense. And 
And everyone, you know, earlier in the season, I think Dave says, says something like, well, the, the commoners need to know that every single thing that they do is done because we allow it to be done. Mm. That's that's God language, right? So mm-hmm. <laughs> now to me, that feels fascinating. I'm interested in that. The showrunners have invested time in showing me the motives and the problems of this particular Godhead. Whereas, you know, you go over to Foundation and, you know, maybe it's it's supposed to be a young cult, you know, 100 years old or whatever. But that religion feels very superficial. It feels like, you know, 100 years old is not very old for a religion. There should still be sort of very dynamic experience, religious experiences happening. And I kind of felt like all we got here is charlatans and you know, a, a few people that kind of believe, but mostly it's just administrators. And I don't really under even understand what motivates the, the adherence of this religion. Mm. And we still, and we even had Polly who was, uh, who, who had seen the quote unquote prophet and had experienced. Yeah, but I don't understand the, the sociology of it. I don't understand how these people relate okay. to it. I mean, I think that might be an authentic uh, expression of faith, but to mm. me, faith and religion are not the same thing. They overlap. Yeah, I do feel absolutely. like this show does did a really great job with some religions and really poor job with other religions. So I don't know how you all feel about that. Well, I don't see Constant as a charlatan. No, I think I think Constant is one of the saving graces, if you will, of the quote unquote religion of Harry Seldon. I think it's harder to put it in those terms because we see how very human Seldon is. And we're not accustomed to deities that have that much humanity. I mean, the Cleons are clearly distinct mm-hmm. in various respects. And so it's easier to kind of set them apart. Although I have to say, I don't see any signs of anybody worshiping the Cleons. I mean, I'd worship Lee Pace, but. You know. <laughs> well, that's another story, right? <laughs> well, if you but, think about the in, Roman in imperial of, cult, it's sort of like everyone's got their own religion on the side. But nobody's building altars. But as long as you else. nod to the Roman imperial cult and pay your taxes, mm-hmm. it's, everyone kind of, of knows it, it, that it's a civic function, right? So mm-hmm. I feel like with Brother Constant, I, I, view, I feel that her faith is authentic. I don't understand how she fits in within the social dynamics of the world that she lives in. And I don't feel like they did enough to show her relating to other people of faith in this show. Hmm. I think that even in the real world, there are flavors of major religions that are based upon the apocalypse is coming and we got to be the ones to survive it or make the world better or whatever else we need to do. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think that is the core of the foundation, the church of Selden or whatever it is church of the, the Holy spirit of, Scientism. Yeah. The galactic spirit. The galactic spirit. spirit. There you go. But I mean, I think that the reason it didn't bother me, besides the fact that I'm not a theologian, um, is that I I felt like it was meant to feel flimsy because the high cleric himself did Mm. not believe in this religion and was struggling with substance abuse because he felt like this was a sham. The people who funded and, and really, you know, put put this religion out there 
we're treating this as a recruitment tool for the foundation. This was not a genuine thing. Like this was a cult in every sense of the word. This was not a fully. It didn't feel like a, that's the problem. It, it did not purpose. feel like a cult to me. It, it, no, okay. no, yeah. it might have been a cultus, yeah, but not a cult. Yeah, maybe. So, so would you have felt better if Constant wasn't so earnest? No, I would have felt much worse. No, I Constant okay. Constant was was necessary. It was necessary, but you know, just to give you a, a sense of the kinds of things that I'm talking about, it's like it only took two or three episodes of Game of Thrones for you to realize that this tree worship of the old gods was a thousand years old and it motivated Ned's character and everything mm -hmm. around the, you know, Winterfell was hinged on this, this green site kind of religion. It, it didn't take long for them to do that. Um, they had a whole season to make that religion feel lived in and it, and they, they couldn't do it. So I, it, it, it's, it's a small disappointment, but I kind of feel like I see it over and over and over and over um, in shows like this, that I feel like the showrunners, there are a few sociological aspects of religion that are it's just not quite understood. Hmm. Do you really think that they intended to make it feel lifted? Well, the other, lots of other stuff feels really well thought out. Can I ask yeah, you? Well, Mm. I, but I'm, what I'm saying is I'm not sure that the show owners ever intended us to feel that it was a religion. I think Constance Faith was something that that the people in her world didn't really expect mm. to have happen. I mean, I see a few mm. Selden worshippers, if you will, um, you know, standing at the perimeter of the vault the second time it opens. I think of the children planting the flags. Mm-hmm. You know, those kinds of actions response to some kind of energy being whatever that is greater than you. Hmm. Um, very primitive in a sense, but still, you know, what we're saying, it's only been around 100 years. I mean, who knows what the early Christians looked like? And they had a much more dramatic um, event to, to, uh, to carry through. And I also think that Constance, the broadcast of Constant, reciting you know her her scriptures if you will as she was about to have her head cut off in a particularly gruesome way went out across the galaxy and i'm not sure we've seen all the ripples and repercussions of that yet now i think for harry sociologically religion was a phase it had no he even says so oh you're in the religion truth phase. Mm -hmm. right yeah. exactly mm. it was always meant to come down and i think i don't think we're yeah. going to see this in season three i think this is done I'll be interested. I'll really be interested to see because um, I I believe in constant space, if you will. Let me, let me just point really... out two little things that they could, okay. have, they could have done here. Religions don't come from nowhere. They're usually adaptations from previous religions. Hmm. Mm. It's like you've got, a, you've, got a pre, you've got a religion that's been around a thousand years. You have a new um, oracle experience, and now you have to reinterpret hmm. the old tradition. And that's where you get mm -hmm. a new religion. The other thing is you need insiders and outsiders. You need sort of an in-group mentality and suspicion mm -hmm. of outsiders. You need to mm -hmm. feel like I have to honor my ancestors and I have to teach the old ways to my children. And if I don't do that, 
I might be outside of my tribe. I might wind mm, out yeah. up right. in liminal space and, and I might be in outer darkness because my family doesn't recognize me as a person of faith anymore. Those are real legitimate anxieties for a, an authentic religion. And you could do, I mean, it doesn't, it wouldn't take much. It really wouldn't take much. So, mm. I mean, this is sort of like a, a small aspect, but I do feel like whenever the show moved to foundation, it, it felt flat. Mm. It felt flat. Another thing about Polly though, he never said that he believed in Selden, the prophet, he believed in the plan. Mm. And I think his drunkenness resulted from his shame that he was going around like a snake oil salesman. Yes, yes. Can I, I can I actually tell you oh. that David Goyer published a scene, a, the script of a scene that never got shot, that never made it into the final episode. And have you read it? I I have read parts of it, and there is a line that they gave Polly to Doctor Selden to to Left Hand Harry that I think really would have helped us. It's basically this whole scene. Polly is calling out Harry for killing the the. Uh, the warden, the warden in the first episode. What I don't remember what episode, and he says in the end, "I still believe in the foundation and in the galactic spirit. I just don't believe in you." Yeah, hmm. Hmm. it's I, real I really hard wish to this believe. Existed. It's real hard to believe in a human being being a god. Mm-hmm. And I think again, how much of this was Selden, was uh, Asimov's experience of of judaism but i really see harry acting in the mold of an old testament of the tanakh deity hmm. you know the, the mm-hmm. as he even says himself you know you have to be capriciously wrathful sometimes and so these echoes are there for those who are familiar with it and maybe that kind of brings them along but i don't think we're intended to see this as a genuine religion I except wonder- for constant Anthony, I wanted to ask you in season one when we had Luminism and the Triple Goddess, mm. and we spent, you know, a good chunk of time there. Did we even go two episodes with? Uh, yeah, and I, th- I was that was fascinating to me. Okay, so mm-hmm. they, they sold they sold you there. I, I feel like yeah, they they established pilgrimage and ritual mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Um, authority, <coughs> and I, I you know it was it was very it was very simple. But mm-hmm. and and I just want to say, just want to reiterate, I think that they did a really great job mirroring the Roman imperial cult, and I was and I was really fascinated by the whole Ignis plot, which is very very religious, right? Mm-hmm. So they yes. they did, they did it, they made it interesting. Two out of three, right? So I guess I'm just nitpicking, <laughs> but the show is called Foundation, and when we were ever right. at Foundation, it was kind of boring. So there it is. Cool. Interesting. I, I loved the triple goddess, but let's yeah. remember that it had been around for more than 10,000 years right? in that world. So yeah, definitely more established. But bringing in you know, the feminist spirituality of Maiden, Woman, and Crone was, was, I loved it. I thought it was great. Well, I think this kind of segues a little bit uh, back over to you, uh, Marilyn, in the world of magic, tech, and faith. And you have ors in between yours. Um, I don't know. Do we need an or operator or is it magic and tech and faith? Or, it's or. It's or. Magic or tech or faith, what's the difference? Yeah. 
No, that's, but I'm asking the question, does it in this, in, in the framing of your question, right. Mm -hmm. Or does something right. And does something with, by, you know, so is the operator or is that what you're actually driving at? Like we've got to have magic or tech or faith. My impression is that this is how viewers would parse the world. Okay. And insist that these are three separate things. Cool. I think they're they're blurring the lines. Mm-hmm. Particularly on Ignis. Mm-hmm. And one thing that I wish, I hope that they get into whenever the next season comes out is the science of Mentalix. Because that's how that's how Asimov presented it originally. He presented it as an outgrowth of psychology. And he set up the original foundation with a whole bunch of scientists, but almost no psychologists. Hmm. And the second foundation, which we didn't even find out about until later on in the series, was set up to be almost exclusively psychologists. Mm-hmm. This is how he envisioned it at the time. So as viewers, do we look at the mentalics abilities and say, oh, well, that's totally you know, fantastical and there's no scientific basis for it. It's a form of quote unquote magic in this particular universe. Or is it something that could be enhanced through, I mean, think of Gail reciting her primes. Mm -hmm. You don't usually use prime numbers as, as a religious mantra, right? Um, (laughs) Right. But there's a, there's, you I, you come away with the impression that this is her form of meditation and it has effects for her because of her particular mentalic abilities. But there's people all over the galaxy that have these abilities and tell them we're running around the galaxy, plucking them out from their obscurity and putting them on this planet uh, for very nefarious ends, as it turns out. But did she have any scientific sense of it? How did she learn her mm. skills? What what was her training like? Mm-hmm. To what extent can we view this as a technology? Mm. But a technology of the human mind instead of a technology of physical objects. Well, there is precedent for mixing magic and tech. There's a, a little franchise you might have heard of called Star Wars that <laughs> exactly. I, I think uh, does this quite often. <laughs> exactly. And it's for a lot of sci-fi fans, that's what they really dislike about Star Wars. Is it right? It yeah, I, in, I think that's it, right. Yeah. It brings in the non-material. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I think the Wheel of Time plays with this idea too. You'll hear Michael Livingston in our interview with him. Hmm. He talked about how Robert Jordan was very like, you know, technology and and magic are not mutually exclusive. And and I uh, I like when for when series play with that. And I think that fantasy and science fiction are not as clean cut as people like to think. Um, But also you have to define your story, you know, in the expanse, it would have felt silly to have something like this. Right. But in this show, we, from the beginning have had something a little bit magical about it. I, I don't think that, I don't think that this show has been a pure hard science fiction as people make that distinction, hard and soft science fiction, you know, yeah. hard is going to have all the, all the science details and try to be very realistic. Soft is going to be like, and then they invented this to do that. Right. Um, but I don't think that, that this show was ever hard sci-fi. I think that this was always something that was going to focus more on character moments, 
focus more on telling the story than it was going to on giving you a manual on how to do this. And this is a distinction from Asimov, who was a committed humanist mm-hmm. and was right. You know, he was, he was culturally influenced mm-hmm. by his Judaism. Yeah. There's no question. There's no question that Asimov, Asimov is not the showrunner. <laughs> <laughs> Fair point. So, Fair point. So this is, I, if he would have, if he would have, adapted this for television, I think you probably wouldn't see a lot of the magic that we've seen in this show. We just have to call it out. This is a show with magic. Yes. <laughs> what, yeah. the, the vault is magic. The vault is absolutely magic, right? I don't understand <laughs> how someone can project their mind a hundred years into the future and a person can see her and she can see the person they can have a conversation. Yeah. So to me, yeah. that's, until you can explain that scientifically, that's magic. And I'm yeah, willing yeah. to go for the ride. I, I'm totally on board with it. Uh, but, of course, I don't have as much affection for the original uh, sure. source material. So, mm-hmm. And I'm perfectly happy to have them be two separate things. If I right. sounded that's otherwise, then I, was, then I was overspeaking it. But I just find it interesting. I find it interesting to set them side by side because – comparing them reveals that much more about the underpinnings of the series that we're watching and, and what, how people are interpreting that. I will bring up an objection though. They are going to have to be careful with this whole magic thing, because if you don't have some kind of recognizable limits, Mm -hmm. then there's anything can be everything, right? Anything can be everything. And it's kind of meaningless. You know, the vault just shows up and suddenly the whole population determinus is rescued. That came really close to jumping the shark for me. Mm -hmm. I gotta say, Mm -hmm. um, I don't feel like they prepared us for that enough. Oh, Uh you knew it was bigger on the inside. Right. I, I, I think sure there was room enough for it, but how, (laughs) yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. uh, All I needed was for Harry to tell director Shermack one line when they were having that little one-on-one to say like, well, director Shermack, your job's not done. Let's go. And then you leave it vague. But mm-hmm. I just needed a little bit of a, a thing as opposed to seeing the uh, Invictus crashing onto the surface. And then magically, everybody's flying through space and they pick up Brother Constant. And, and one yeah, little yeah. flash off in the corner when we're watching Polly kneeling there expecting to be overwhelmed. And some people caught that. Well, I didn't. Oh, I missed it. Yeah. Yeah. Which, okay. you know, maybe that's that's my feeling. But still, um, you need to give us a little more reassurance. Um, and then the other <laughs> thing was tell him. Mm. You know, they already had her jumping into Josiah at the time of her death. Is she, in fact, truly gone? Right. And Mm -hmm. fortunately, at least we implied that there were some limits to her abilities because Gail was able to do the whole switcheroo and and save Harry and all the rest of it. And Um, and just took a slap to get her out of Gail, right? Well, I'm took a slap from Selmer Harden. That warden slap, that's a powerful drug. I'm telling you. (laughs) Well, look, if this this show is going to go on 10 seasons, they would absolutely bring Talon back. No, no. And very, very few shows do that now. It's like we have a set, you know, there's going to be five seasons or there's going to be fewer. Very, very few shows do that. Yeah. That's the goal is eight. If this was ER, they would absolutely do right, that. Right, right. <laughs> and that's that's a that's a show that's in existence for itself, as opposed to a show 
like this or, you know, Breaking Bad or uh, Mad Men kind of strayed a little bit like, but when, when the director knows the final shot mm-hmm. or uh, succession, we know what we want to achieve with this story. We have a beginning, middle and end where ER has no end. It just, yeah, I feel like we should probably call out that they do have wiggle room. You know, I I feel like the story that they told on the screen was that Tellum is gone. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, what does the boy say? The boy says something. I can feel her weakening. I feel her. And she, I feel her dying with me. Yeah. Right. Right. So (laughs) that's sort of like, we saw her die quote unquote. And yet, we didn't really see, you know, we, they, they still, they, no, we didn't really see her didn't. die. Right. So we did not. And we saw a lot of focus on that blonde girl. <laughs> sure. Yes, we did. A lot yes, of did. focus on yep. that blonde girl yep. and no explanation of, yes, you're now in charge of instruction until we return from our great cycle beyond. I know that we're short on time, but I, Marilyn, you put one thing in your notes that I was really curious about, and that is the theme of mm-hmm. memory. Yeah. Um, I was fortunate enough to have my question asked when the guys interviewed David Goyer um, as to why memory was so, so much of a threat and was there any personal link? And he talked very movingly about the fact that his mother had dementia and that that got him thinking about a lot of things Interesting. related to memory. Yeah. And it just, it just, you know, since my mother had dementia too, and a whole bunch of my family members, I was very key to that topic as well. So you have, probably unanswered questions uh, like if your memories are altered, are you still the same person? Right. And Mm -hmm. if your only memories are those of a being that lived before you, how can you become your own individual? Can you become your own individual? I think initially Cleon's idea was no, but human nature being what it is, even cloned human nature. I think he was kind of naive about that. It just, it wasn't going to happen that way. Mm. Um, and for Demerzel, what's it like to have a memory that stretches back for 10,000 years and you can't forget a single thing? That's, I mean, that was, I was about curious appalling. about that because there's this line that she says, Clay on the first kind of sets this whole path in motion, right? Mm-hmm. And he he coerces her into serving and loving him, right? And she has this line, she says, over time, his memory was able to convert the con- mm. coercion into communion. Yeah. yeah. Uh, that's yeah. very authentic. That's what memory does. Memory will. Human memory. Yes. Human memory will reorganize things to something you can live with. Mm. Right. And right. this is in, in memory studies, we call this uh, distanciation. No, no, no. We call this instrumentalization. Distanciation mm. is very. But it can be very benign. You just can't remember everything. Some things just get lost to the passage of time. You have a limited selective memory. What Cleon the First does is instrumentalization. What he does is he takes a memory and he distorts it in service to a particular aim. Mm. And over time, he's his memory is altered in order to uphold his identity. So sometimes a memory is altered and you lose identity. And sometimes in order to maintain your identity, you have to alter the, mem- the, the, the memory. And mm-hmm. so your memories are always shifting as a human. Your memories are always evolving over time. And then they kind of become rigid over time. Uh, Demerzel does not have this problem. <laughs> no, she doesn't. <laughs> so, so to have the, that juxtaposed, to have him 
his limited human memory, distorted human memory, juxtaposed against her pristine memory. Uh, it just, I think that they did that beautifully. I think that it'll be interesting when we've got a digital Harry in the vault and we have a corporeal Harry, uh, yeah, you know, jury's point. still out, whether he's robot or, or human, but now we have, a another control group here. We're not even a control group. What do you, we just want to say another instantiation uh-huh. of mirrors of each other. One is digital and has yeah. some higher degree of fidelity than the other. Yeah. And now these are the three most powerful beings in the universe. We're going to have to see those two meet up at some point, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Right. And they got the prime radiance. Can I add another layer of complication, which is that living Harry has not had his memory memories altered. Left-hand Harry has Has. had his memories redacted. Yes, he has. That's right. So he has a perfect memory, but it's also been purposefully altered. Rather like the Cleons. But he's also mm. able to intu- he's al- he's able to logic out where his, the gaps in his memory are when faced with the question of mm-hmm. why don't uh-huh. I know this uh-huh. right when he's presented with a known unknown or an unknown unknown <laughs> right he's able to to go huh why is this why sure. don't I know this right then, right right which is an interesting thing but I also find myself wondering if the prime radiant that Vault Harry gave to Demersel is accurate. Could he have it's the same her, Prime Radiant, isn't it? But could Super he have made another one that isn't quite the same? Oh, like a little flim flam, little You're right, uh, exactly. like like Vault Harry made That's another Prime point. Radiant and gave it to Demerzel. Why did he? Okay. Why did he give her the keys to the kingdom, as it were? I, I, I mean, the, if I'm going to speculate, I kind of think he wanted her to know you're going to be free at some point. There's going to be no empire to be loyal to at some point. Or he views her. So what does that do to her programming? Yeah, he views yeah. her as someone who is not as loyal to empire as day thinks that she is like like here's a being that will definitely outlast empire and maybe is not necessarily going to her life's not going to end when the empire falls so this goes into the Mm -hmm. question of what does harry know about demerzel he i would say that he knows that she's a robot i don't know that he knows who she is as in her uh, mm-hmm. iRobot identity, right? The from the robot series stuff. Um, but then, does he understand the the um, the programming that she's been installed with that keeps her locked into being a servant, you know, to serve the Cleonic dynasty? Does he know that? I don't know. Because if he's trying to use her as a as a tool, then he may be that that may be a flawed stratagem because he doesn't have enough information about how Demerzel's motives actually operate. See, initially I thought he was giving her the prime radiant because he knew that there was a very high percentage chance that Terminus was about to be destroyed. And Fair. he wanted mm-hmm. the prime radiant yeah, he, to survive and he does say that, right? somehow. Right. And yet I can't see why he would trust her as, as a, an honest agent, if you will. No. Sure. I um, also think that it's possible that Vault Harry wanted a level of privacy from the Second Foundation, knowing that one. That's was out an there. interesting Ooh. idea, John. Because oh. he knew that you know he already had a visit from Salvor Harden, a passing ghost. Who's the next person who's going to pop up and who's watching him? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah, I didn't. 
was it in your interview or was it somewhere else that I heard Goyer say or imply that the two Harrys were going to actually switch places? And so Bald that was, was in, in second I think the Bald Move interview, um, okay. which was he was suggesting that perhaps now that uh, nobody knows that the, the Terminoans termites uh, survived, that the, the first foundation would play the role of the second foundation of being the secret, you know, uh-huh. balancing balancing act rather than the second foundation which will now be more in the open than the first foundation so it's and yet we have seven switch. planets that are foundation even though they're mm-hmm. not terminus right scientism uh, yeah. or, or they've adopted yeah. term- are, are or, all the terminites going to just go dark somewhere in some yeah even further out of reach planet i i, I have difficulty imagining that but then know. that would i think that would um erode the um the adaptation and the inspiration of the original story, which is yeah, where we have um, Asimov positing different modalities for human, the human species to continue to exist into the future. Mm-hmm. And he puts what is, I think three different forces in balance, right? Mm-hmm. right. Um, ultimately, because there's a whole yeah. other thing that happened. I'm not, I don't even want right. to talk about so, it. But do we even have empire in season three? Because, in Gale's flash forward, yeah. the mule says, you're from the age of Empire right. before Hober Mallow. Right. So does Empire even exist in season three or at least in that flash forward of season three? I don't think it does. At least not as we have seen it. But I want Lee Pace. But then again, <laughs> well, I, think you'll, once, I think you'll still have Lee Pace, but once, he's just going to be ruling the planet of Trantor. Yeah. Well, I I think once Demerzel is free from her programming, there's not going to be an unsnapped neck on Trantor. But um, <laughs> I, I, I'm not so sure about that. But yeah, I, I don't know what we're going to see in season three. And I hope it's very different because season one, season two kind of promised me that. Right. Yeah. 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 Can I bounce back to religion again really fast? Because I discovered something that I'm I really Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I wanna I wanna tack back to about. Anthony right after this. I mean, David, you've been educating us all on the uh, Bhagavad Gita. Oh, ti- a tiny bit. And I'm not terrific. even an expert on the Bhagavad Gita, which is a But you spotted it. You right. spotted it. <laughs> and this is what I'm seeing in terms of how the show is handling religion generally. They keep putting in all these different references to yeah. religions that are familiar to us here on earth. The one thing that I caught on the second viewing, which was so exciting to me, um, one of the locals said that Siwena has a thunder God, mm. or I guess it was Polly and, and constant who, or Polly was telling constant this mm-hmm. and the cleric who died, you know, in advance. Yeah. Of who them, got strung up before. Yeah. From thunder. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Was hung on a cross in the shape of a Norse rune for protection from enemies. Mm-hmm. That's really I, mean, cool. I just, I just think that is so cool. I would love to know if all that was intentional. It was, or if I'm, or if I'm just imposing my own ideas. It almost on it, certainly was intentional. Almost certainly yeah. was. I can't imagine it, it wouldn't have mm-hmm. been. And right. I just think that's cool. I mean, it was a little kind of a disconnect to see a Norse deity being represented in a desert community, but whatever. It was still fun and it was still cool. I mean, even to the point that they they even went to detail to the point of the banyan tree with the strangler vines. That was a a metaphor. Right. Right. So they they do do that. They they go there. And I have to say this, although I don't think I've heard anybody else say this. um, 
the fact that in the vault, when you enter in the vault and you're invited to take food with Harry Seldon, <laughs> it comes from his own the molecules. Of Harry Seldon. <laughs> and there we are. Take, eat. This is my body. Yeah. Mm, that's right. And he almost said exactly that. And you taste delicious, Harry. In that scene. <laughs> well, and it's, yeah. it's wine. Yeah. I mean, it's not subtle at all. Yeah. Right? <laughs> Hello. <laughs> it's, it's not yeah. subtle at all. Well, it's yeah. not subtle for those who are familiar with Christian practice. I mean, I think that's one of the things I love is I've just listed what, how many, six different, you know, we've got the Tanakh, we've got Taiki, this is my body, we've got feminist spirituality, we've got Norse mm-hmm. mythology. I mean, they're just really... Mm-hmm. Well, Marilyn, if you if you ever do decide to want to write a paper on uh, the season two, the religions representative <laughs> season two of, of Foundation, we'll publish it on our on our website, and you know, happy to uh, well, platform you. But uh, I want to I want to tack really quickly since you brought up the Bhagavad sure. Gita. Anthony, for yes. one of his notes, uh, has this quote: "The only way you can conquer me is through love, and there I am glad, gladly conquered." Which is a line uh, that I believe. Vishnu says to Krishna on the eve of the battle uh, between the Pandavas and the right, Uruvas. and I think that is it, Glewin or how do I how do I say Glewin? Is that the way? Okay. So I think Glewin says that that's his favorite line, and I think that this was a great window into the problem of empire, because if you look mm. at the what the ancient what the ancients thought of as love relationships was more like more along the lines of devotion. And so, you know, we th- when we think love, we think romance, which of course totally works for these mm. characters because mm-hmm. they're husbands. In an ancient context, the, the higher power is, is connected to the lower power asymmetrically, but it's not necessarily like a romantic thing. It's a devotion thing. I'm loyal to you, and in turn, you will protect me, right? Mm-hmm. This is exactly Empire's problem. Empire's problem mm-hmm. is it's, 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 got, it's got its tentacles so far out. They, they, they have no relationship with these outer planets, these outer galaxies. They've got no, mm-hmm. they, they got no way to be able to either protect them or receive love from them. And this is exactly mm. the, the problem that Rome had. You know, Rome Rome gets too wide, too dispersed, and then the core collapses. And the reason why that is is because Caesar. How how can you love Caesar if you if you have no contact with Caesar? You know, mm. you, you know, you go back to these old, old, old love relationships. Politically speaking, it's about devotion. But yeah. you get too wide, you get too big, you get too thin, and things just collapse in on themselves. It makes me think of two things. One, whenever day or dusk or anybody tries to go off planet, Demerzel is like, no, 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 not a good idea. You know, you've got to stay here. Mm. But then it makes me think of the crown season one when the young couple, what are they out doing? They're out visiting the colonies, right? The English monarchy Mm -hmm. sends out representatives on a regular basis for people to do what? Show their Mm -hmm. devotion. Mm -hmm. And I, I was recently working with a client of mine in my personal, you know, normal life business day thing, not podcasting. And we were going through some stuff and we found uh, some old relics of uh, one of her uh, distant, not, not too distant um, um, uh, family members 
who had all this devotive material of when she saw uh, Elizabeth in hmm. Nova Scotia, as it was, <laughs> sure. this letter, and she wrote on the program, um, I, you know, she wrote a note to herself, but to Elizabeth saying, I've been waiting to see you for so long. I can't believe the day is actually here, et cetera, et cetera, hmm. et cetera. Devotion. Yeah, absolutely. So devoted absolutely. to the, this idea of the monarch. Yeah, that's how the politic, that's the body politic reinforces collective identity, which is exactly the problem with empire. Empire cannot, can no longer do it. And it was only a matter of time before they were not just unloved, they were hated. Well, mm. it reminds me even of, you know, I'm going to bring it back to Star Wars episode <laughs> episode one, the Phantom Menace. The Jedi show up on Tatooine and they go up to Watto. And they're like, hey, slavery is illegal here. And he's like, cool. Bye. <laughs> like, you yeah. you guys have too big of a, of a republic. You can't do anything yeah. out here. We don't yeah. take your credits. Right. You know, and that's yeah. that's the beginning of the end for this republic. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. The thing that I find so fascinating about that representation of relationship whether it's between you know, deity and worshiper or between human beings. In my experience, love does not protect love accompanies. Hmm. And for a long time, that more transactional piece was very much an operation for, well, if you're a decent God, then I pray to you and you prevent my crop from getting washed away or hmm. you prevent our village from getting sick or whatever. And, Sometimes it happened and sometimes it didn't. And the religious question then was, what did we do wrong? And who's, you know, even more harmfully, who is the, the false one among us mm, who right. needs to be killed right? so that we can get back in right relationship with our deity? And it, it leads to all sorts of complications. But that's more of a, what, I mean, uh, Anthony, you're calling it a, a, a social transaction kind of religion. In a way. There's an ancient, not there, yeah, the right. There's an ancient as, as devotion, right, right. There's an ancient uh, Hittite treaty that says it sort of details the vassal's relationship to the the suzerain, and basically right. what it's saying is, look, if if there if my tribe gets wiped out, who is going to be there to love you? And the reason right. that that language is being used is not because sort of any modern idea of affection. It's about you sat at my table, you ate with me. And so now when your tribe's in peril, I will send the wrath of the army against your enemies. That's what the, that's what love actually <laughs> means in, in, right. in an ancient political context. And then, right. of course, the Tanakh takes that and it. Bread it takes that political language and it applies it to the deity instead. Mm -hmm. So anyway, I thought that was an interesting way to kind of show the bankruptcy of empire as opposed mm. to this relationship mm. between this asymmetrical general and his underling. But they right. do absolutely uh, have yeah, a relationship, yeah, yeah. right? Right, yeah. right. And it goes all the way through and into the Middle Ages where you have the vassal yeah, relationship right. and, and Christianity absolutely adopted that model. Oh, all, all, all that love language in Christianity comes right out of uh, Judaism, right? But it was a complete misunderstanding in terms of the, the religion was not about experience so much, I mean, about um, exchange as it was about personal experience. Hmm. That's interesting. But it came in 
in the context. Yeah, the the first the earliest Christians were not selling, you know, a, a system of organizing your city, which is basically how Rome picked it up and adopted it so that eventually you couldn't be a member of the army unless you were a Christian, which is remarkably counter to the messages as they were put down in terms of love your neighbor as yourself. But the early Christians were talking about an experience that they had. Mm. Of course, after a couple of generations, like Polly, and after a couple yeah. of generations, nobody survives who has had that experience. And therefore, you have to move into a faith and belief kind of a system. And how does that get maintained? Well, prayer and results. Ritual. Ritual. Um, remembrance. Mm, memory. What you were saying earlier, Anthony, about this is this is who we are. This is what we do, and if we deviate, yeah, from collective this, identity trouble. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Anyway, I, I love the Glay win, and I also love the fact that they I kind of pulled a switcheroo on us. <laughs> yeah, like sure you, you're pretty sure Glaywin was the the one who was gonna just be destroyed, and at the end of the day, he's the one that's saved. But then, of course, his husband has been destroyed. Yeah. Yeah, and I had yeah. big internet points on Glaywin being being <laughs> uh, being some sort of a motivational uh -huh. plot device for Bell, right? You know, like Empire is going to take Glay, you know, whatever he was going to be used mm -hmm. as fuel for Bell's rebellion. But no, yeah. Well, I don't Subversion. think you were wrong in that, David. It's true because yeah, it absolutely he did believe he fueled the rebellion. It's true. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. And yet he still survived that. That's but, right. But Anthony, I, I just love that you pulled out this this one sentence because it it. It is so rich and it works on so many different yeah, levels. Yeah, that, it's got I a lot really of hadn't seen there. that application to Empire until you pointed out that's that's just fantastic. I feel like we could probably talk for another hour or two <laughs> on oh, yeah. some of these topics. <laughs> but what we should probably do is uh, take a quick break. And then when we come back, we can uh, work through some feedback. So let's do that. And we'll be right back. And we're back. Boy, David, I can't wait for Bear McCreary to hear how I butchered his soundtrack to make an ad break. <laughs> Your 8-bit, 12-bit, what is this bit? Let's, uh, let's just reduce it to nothing and, and put it in an ad break. Given that they invented a whole new software and mathematical model to make the, the foundation soundtrack. It is gobsmacking. Yeah. Anybody who hasn't read it, go to Bear McCreary's blog and read the process he went through and other people went through to give us what we have now musically. Yeah. It's, it's just astonishing. Very cool stuff. Well, we've got no fancy programs here. We've got a Google <laughs> Doc that has a bunch of feedback from our lovely listeners. Uh, I'm going to start reading it now, and then we can all, we can all chatter about it. So first up is uh, Dominic P. by email, who said, I may be making a mistake. But I thought after this last episode, it was revealed to us who Gail is narrating to, which would be the Mentalics and maybe the young ones. Her story might be useful for training the people in the second foundation now that it is actually in play. What, what do we think? Is this is she talking to the Mentalics? I, you know, 
in season one, we got a lot of voiceover from Gail. And in this season, I think there were two, maybe three episodes where we had voiceover. So they used it very sparingly mm-hmm. this season. I'm not sure what the creative decision making was there. However, I do remember, I believe it was on the official podcast, um, Goyer was uh, asked about that. And and it may be, have been a different podcast. I can't remember. Um, he did say that that is a good question in as much as there is a mystery that I'm not yet ready to reveal. I don't, I think this is a good theory. I think Dominic's theory is a good one. Uh, I don't have enough evidence yet to, we, you know, we've got th- season three, four, whatever, till we might even know uh, mm-hmm. where this goes. But I think it's a good working theory for now. Yeah. Cool. Anybody else? Well, I can think of bits and pieces of things that she said. Um, in particular, the, you know, you wouldn't exist if, you know, these mm. particular pairs of people had met through time and whatever that I'm not sure really relates to the mentalics that much. I think we'd have to go back and get all her uh, voiceovers in one spot and we could maybe make some clues. Hmm. I mean, right. maybe it's egotistical of me, but I just always thought she was talking to the audience. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, a simple answer would be a child or her child, right? Other than alas. Other than alas, Salvor, yes. Right. Maybe she's talking to Anthony. <laughs> I always thought she was talking to me. <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> All right. Oh, what is that line from? Oh, 1776. Marvelous play. The the clerk of, of Congress. You can cut this out if it's irrelevant. Clerk of Congress, <laughs> the one who always reads the letters to Congress that George Washington sends. And he says, you know, for the last couple of months, I've had the oddest feeling that he's been writing to me. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. All right, next up is Ruma T, who says, Hello, David and John. Love listening to your podcast because of how you break things down. Keep up the great job. Thanks, Ruma T. Uh, just wondering about Foundation's Demerzel and the Prime Radiant. Do you think the Prime Radiant will help her repair herself in the same way Kale helped Harry? I think I'll, I'll pass it to Anthony first because he didn't get a chance to give his thoughts on the last one. Yeah. I'll be honest about this. I kind of feel like the the little aspirin pill that is placed into Demerzel's neck mm-hmm. is a little <laughs> bit contrived. Um, I don't. I don't buy that she can't access it or reprogram it. I, I don't know why. I feel like that. I understand why we need the limits. We need limits. Because you can't tell a story without the limits. And this is one of those cases where I don't understand the technology. And I I don't think we're supposed to understand the technology at this point. I don't see how the Prime Radiant will help her solve the little poison pill in the back of her neck. So the tic anyway, yeah, the tic tac. The tic tac <laughs> that Mentos. keeps it's her from Mentos. harming people and keeps her breath fresh all day long. <laughs> <laughs> No wonder she's able to seduce all the Cleons. <laughs> sure. There you go. <laughs> With Tic Tacs. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ruma continues, I was wondering if that's possibly another reason Dark Harry gave it to her because it's something 
Callie, Calais had a part of. Maybe Dark Harry wants to be the second foundation too, but by giving her the prime radiant, she can now communicate with Kale as well. I, we have not seen Kale since very early in the season. Mm, Do you, yeah. Wh- what is the mystery of Kale? How is she involved in this? Who? Anyone have thoughts on, on where we're going with that story? Well, I thought that at some point somebody said that the reason why Kale showed up there was because her mathematics were so deeply involved with mm-hmm. the creation of the Prime Radiant. Hmm. But Kale was was flesh and blood, according to Gail. Right, right. Well, so there's I mean, something this is, more this than is that. One of those magic come technological. No, she wasn't flesh and blood because they didn't have any sensor readings. That's so right. When Harry That's showed right. up. They had a reading of Harry, but no one else. But didn't Gail shake her hand? Yes. Maybe she's another robot. Yeah, could be. Yeah. Um, yeah. and I believe it would be a good idea for us to keep in mind too of what Kale's math was was about I believe it, if if correct me if I'm wrong was folding space wasn't it right right and um bell says to empire today once space is folded I forget what the exact line is but basically it stays folded it stays folded yeah that's that's the line so I think there's more yet to unfold from from that little mystery but yeah they certainly Ooh, left like that, that one wide open uh, from this season. They did not at all explore that any further. All right. Well, I'm still hoping that it was a fake that he gave her. <laughs> yeah. Um, With intention I, I, I kind of like having Demerzel have a real Prime Meridian, though. I think that would be super interesting to have the second the, the second primary foundation the the uh, be connected to Demerzel, be connected to Empire, or whatever is left of Empire post-Cleon. I guess it depends on does Harry trust Demerzel, and if so, why? You could yeah. trust her because her mo. Well, I mean, if you if you knew what her programming was, you could absolutely trust her. And does he? Um, I mean, I don't that's know. the question. I mean, yeah. Something we didn't talk about was the whole with the trap that Demerzel is in, and the fact that you know her her function is to uh, serve the genetic dynasty. What happens when the dynasty isn't there or is so degraded or doesn't have the resources or she there's a, a, a shortcoming in what her directive is? And I think the question what, is, what is the robot going to do? The question isn't whether he trusts her. Does he trust her to destabilize something that he needs de- right. deconstructed? Because mm, she would be a really good go. tool with that. But that's quite go. a bold play <laughs> you know, because... She's not. He made a bold play with the yeah. with the spacers. Yeah, that's right. That was as bold a play as you can you can make. Yeah, I mean, she's a right. super intelligence, right. and now she's got all the information. So, mm. and she'd be awfully hard to trick. Exactly. Particularly in in a mathematical model kind of uh, creation, right. it's just at the very end there when she's saying, "I'm seeing all kinds of beautiful things," and you know, you can interpret that a whole number of ways. Right. But she has had what. 600 years to contemplate how she might get out of the trap that she's in. So, you know, and she right. hasn't gotten out of it yet, but maybe she is approaching a solution and the prime radiant will help her. That's a good point. Well, which goes to Ruma's uh, email, I think, or she think it will help her. Mm. Right. 
All right, well, let's move on to Arthur H., who wrote in via email saying, just finished listening to your review of episode nine. Uh, so this was this was before the episode 10 podcast, but we put we put it to the season wrap because it was really dense. Uh, starts off, you made reference to the Campbell dynasty. I don't remember that from the books. The prequel books were read to, by me many years ago, but I can't help. Uh, think that this is an homage to John W. Campbell, the author of Who Goes There, which was adapted for film as The Thing from Another World, who was also editor of Astounding Stories and one of Asimov's earliest editors. Anyone familiar with this Campbell character? I'm wondering if that was referenced, the, the Campbell dynasty, as they're saying in the email, was referenced to something when I was talking about the previous dynastic orders. Yeah, I don't think it was Campbell. I think this from, might have just been mishearing. Yeah, possibly. But it's still, I think it's an interesting poll when you can find, you know, we can trace backwards. <laughs> Marilyn? I'm just wondering if the Campbell dynasty refers to the very early science fiction writings. Hmm. And Campbell was a, a, a great mover and shaker in that and so created a quote unquote dynasty of sci-fi writers right. that mm. influenced Asimov. That was how I understood it, but I I'm, you know, I'm probably way off. So Anthony just had to step out because he had something going on at home, but we are very grateful that he made the time to speak with us on this season wrap up. Marilyn, however, is still with us. So we're gonna keep going on this feedback with her. Uh, the next point from Arthur H's email was one of my favorite things about Asimov, which I'm not sure is coming through in this adaptation, is that before Asimov, all science fiction was basically big, strong men build bigger and bigger weapons to blow up their enemies. Read Jules Verne, the Skylark of space, etc. Asimov's heroes were scientists and thinkers. And as we saw in the books, it didn't matter how big and bad the empire was, Selden outsciences them. The idea that all that the heroes go all the way to Trantor in the first half of Foundation and Empire to try and defeat Belrios, only to find out that the power of psycho history took care of it. A weak general would be no threat to the Foundation. A strong general would set his sights on the throne of Empire. Uh, either way, the Foundation wins. And they could have just stayed home and had a Manny Petty. Uh, my thesis for this is that Asimov created the nerd hero. He made Hermione, Tom Swift, and many others possible. Marilyn, what do you think about that? Oh, I love the nerd hero. I think that's really great. And I agree with him. Um, this is one of the reasons why I loved the Foundation series so much, is that Asimov's values of um, humanism and you know rejecting violence is a solution, you know, violence is the last resort of the incompetent. This show is not exactly firmly rooted in that, let us say, although they did use the sentence at one point. Um, yes. But yeah. I don't think this is the driving model that they're that they're going with because they want to have big space battles and, you know, all this stuff. Well, I don't know, because, you know, this was this email was written after episode nine. But after episode 10, I think they may be going closer to Asimov than we thought, because the whole point of the militarization of the foundation was to goad empire, right? Yep. It was to make yes. empire be Correct. the weak one, the incompetent one with the violence. And it led to the destruction of the imperial fleet. 
the mm-hmm. the super aggressive military military power ended up with no fleet at all. The foundation survived. Right. And with I whisper think, ships. Right. Mm-hmm. The Empire no longer has the ability to jump. They're uh and so their a control is effectively neutered. Except for well, I mean that's just the that's one fleet. So assuming that they still have other fleets uh out there, but we don't know how many. Um But without but the spacers the fleets right. are they're stuck useless. With wherever they're hanging around right now. Whatever exactly. planet they're rotating around, that's that's it. Exactly. And yeah, so we'll, we'll we'll go catch up with you guys in a hundred years. Don't worry about it. <laughs> yeah. Well, but it also it's just something that Anthony was talking about earlier. Um, it also completely cuts them off from supplying planets and you know whatever sorts of benefits Trade. that they were sharing. Yeah. Um, you know, they cut off the outer reach because they simply weren't able or interested in doing all that sort of thing. And that's right. part of how the foundation could increase its influence in the outer reach. Imagine right. the inputs that Trantor needs, especially with the rings. I mean, you could create some degree of self-sustaining uh, with food and, mm-hmm. and some you know nutrients and stuff, but you're still going to need alloys and metals and, mm-hmm. and minerals that are, are no longer available on Trantor. Uh, you need raw yeah. materials that to keep that because if you think that the planetary population of Trantor is quadrupled because you have three rings now, which are almost probably, mm-hmm. of, you know, a, the, the, what would be the population on the planet itself. Hmm. So that's a lot of humanity in one split in one place that no longer has the ability to input, right. you know, to, right. to sustain the inputs. And the planet is not intended to grow foodstuffs and other sort of basic functions. And right. this also mirrors the the decline of the Roman Empire quite nicely, too. They had similar kinds of issues and problems. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Relating to this, Arthur continues, the mule, one of the favorite things about uh, the book, Mule, is that he cultivated the image of the big strong man while actually being something else. I, I don't know anything about Book Mule. I'm sorry we lost Book Mule. Yeah. Um, it, it's become just, you know, another standard kind of sci-fi bad the guy. The Mulinator. Unless, the Mulinator, exactly. Unless, you know, they're going to pull a fast one on us, which, which I would love. Yeah, which is, is possible still, because I don't even know when we're going to get the Mule uh, practically, you know, is it going to mm-hmm. still just be hovering out there on the edges of season three or, you know, when, when I, are we, I hope we see practical? him. I, I mean, we saw the mule in therapy, right? We, at the very <laughs> end. So I, I think this could be perhaps a, a, a less big strong man mule than we thought. Mm. I thought I heard somewhere that the mule was going to appear in the third season. Okay. But I have to say a second watch and listen I'd call me crazy, but the mule's voice sounded an awful lot like Harry's voice. And he was speaking in rhyme very much the way that Cutley speaks in rhyme. Mm. I mean, mm. go back and listen again and yeah. tell me that I'm crazy because that no, I think you're true. right. I think you're right. Um, <laughs> and that could just I, be I, I, the showrunners I, being funny with us. But. Yeah, I, and I heard it more as just old man whisper voice, but mm. ah. I, I could be wrong about that. I mean, who knows? I mean, he and, he and Gail are are sleeping so much that I'm going to have to start calling her Gail Snornick. And, and so 
I, I, I don't know what he's going to be like in a hundred years. <laughs> no, no, she's she's a Nana in her underworld right now, and she will return when she wakes up. <laughs> wasn't it in? It was in episode one where um, Calais or um, I forget his uh, life partner's name, um, Yana. Yana, Yana. Yana. Um, was talking in a particular rhyme pattern to try exactly. to break his his thing. So interesting that if that's yeah. a good pick, that's a really good pick. If if the mule was talking in, in not the same rhyme necessarily, but in a similar, you know, they're using the writers using a similar device in some way to cl- give us a subtle clue. That's uh, that's cool. That's a good pick. We'll see. Arthur closes with thanks for the series as well as y'all's work on Earthsea. Uh, also writes us a little parody <laughs> song. Let me tell you all a story about a man oh, named Gid. A poor Gondis man get barely, barely kept his family, family fed. fed. That's funny. That's funny. Uh, and Wheel of Time. Haven't had a chance to watch Ahsoka or any of the other things you cover yet. Well, thanks for writing in, Arthur. This was a fun email and, and very deep with, with lore and, and uh, a lot of food for thought on the nature of this adaptation and how it's playing with the themes of violence. And yeah. Military. Glad you've been able to, to join us too. So yeah. And Earthsea, I've been reading Tahanu a little bit and I'm excited to talk about it. Uh, I think we're going to resume that in October. Jordan M writes in and says, howdy gents. Howdy Jordan. Just finished a late shift and had to watch foundation straight away. Whoa, what a ride. Early on, you realize that this show will span generations that can effectively wipe the slate clean of a many a beloved character. And boy, were there some deeply moving and heroic deaths. I mean, Rios letting his hair down with Hober and sharing the shitty wine was just one of many fantastic <laughs> moments in this season finale. Holy shit, the acting chops on Ben Daniels. That Rios little shimmy in the Empire flamboyant chain mail while happily saying, plus I got to shove day out of an airlock before <laughs> perishing with a toast. Priceless. Frankly, all the performances were electrifying. I felt every tear of Demerzel, every punch lunged at day, all the sincerity of a trapped dusk effectively looking into a mirror of a trapped Demerzel, all the brilliance of Gale, Harry, etc. cetera. Uh, just Wow. Wow, wow, wow. The show cooked big time. Plus, it's bigger on the inside, baby. Flabbergasted. <laughs> <laughs> I think Jordan liked That's the show. Point. That's a good I, point. I, I got that impression. Yes, I think you're right, John. <laughs> yeah, very, very cool. Great performances all around. I will, I will leave my nits unpicked. Also, as random as Becky's arsehole, as a dune head, spoilers ahead. Uh, can you tell me, David, before I read this? Should I should I read this or not? No, it's fine. Okay, but it is very it, it is very Dooney. It gets into the into the future books, but it's not. Yeah, I, I I don't care about Dune spoilers. I'm never reading them. <laughs> <laughs> no, Leave it in. The, I meant for the listeners, not for you. All right, all right, all right. So should we skip it because it's no, no, Dune it's spoilery? fine. Okay. It's fine because okay. it, it, it's the book's not been out fifty anything. years. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Also, as random as Becky's arsehole. As a Dune head, spoilers ahead, I'm giving you the warning now. Yes. Uh, so uh, I suddenly viewed the Cleons akin to the repetitive and traumatically cloned Dune Duncan Idaho's. With the Duncans, some at times found a higher awareness of their reality with the God Emperor. And in Foundation's case, as far as we know, one Cleon found freedom. Perhaps more Cleons will find their freedom too. Three decantations are uncharted waters. It would appear, so who knows? 
I do know that this show has me in a deep dive and I can't wait for more. Here's hoping the writers and actors get everything they justly deserve so they may continue making and profiting as merited from these amazing works of art. Go, Goyer, go. Looking forward to your coverage in the afternoon. Sante Lagar. What, I don't know what that means. Who knows? Cheers to your health. Oh, it oh that's health, great. guys. That's great. Yeah. Indeed. And also with you. <laughs> so that's what I'm going to say back to you, Jordan. So Jordan, with this Dune comp, is it's a good poll. Uh, it's it's very on point with um, these questions of immortality and cloning, but it also dives into this something that we didn't really get to talk about when with Anthony as well. It wasn't on our roster, but it, it's a background thought that I've had and I've brought up a couple times, which is um, one of Harry's points that he brings up in season one, which is stagnation is going to lead to the ruin of the species unless. And I don't know how this, I think this plays in the foundation in the, in some of the wider books and the auxiliary books, but the fact that humanity needs to have some degree of challenge and uncertainty before it in order for us to be able to uh, continue forward. And when Herbert is playing with the Duncan Idaho character and the God Emperor and the later books, a lot of it has to do with that is 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 them um the humanity trying to get itself out of a trap of stagnation um and and duncan idaho being used as a tool to try to pry loose at a certain point uh, humanity from this trap and that's the whole thing with paul atreides uh at least from the early books is one of the horrors that he experiences of being prescient is he can see the future. He knows not tomorrow, not next week, but he can see into a millennia and he can see the death, horror, and destruction that the universe is headed towards. And so he's sitting there in the driver's seat thinking, dear Lord, how, you know, I can't steer the bus from not going off the cliff. And that's really, a, that drives a lot of his angst. And so when we're looking at, the Cleons and Harry and Harry using psychohistory to predict humans uh, futures. He's saying the Cleonic dynasty is, is like a lead weight that's dragging us down and we're not going to be able to break free from that, you know, unless we take sort of radical action. So hmm. lots of fun conversational elements between Dune and, and foundation here. I feel like I could, no. oof, I'm all, <laughs> <laughs> you could talk about it for brother days. That's right. <laughs> of course, the thing about Cleons, they're more concerned with their own preservation than they are with the preservation of the exactly. race. Exactly. Right, right. Yep. Well, speaking of clones, <laughs> we have a clone of one of our own <laughs> hosts right uh, now. Email. Marilyn Arpukila writes in, would you like to read it yourself, Marilyn, or should I read your own words to you? We should probably uh, um, uh, so do some selective reading here. Pick your top three paragraphs. I think, you, no, you go ahead, John, because you're very right. good at doing that. All right. I'm just going to read the whole thing. Let's just do okay. it. All right. Hello, Lorehounds. Hello, Marilyn. Hello. Uh, <laughs> well, I think I can claim a few internet points for this one. Day goes too far and Bell revolts, taking the fleet with him, so to speak. Though I didn't foresee the airlock castle smooth. I had also envisioned a general rebellion throughout the Foundation systems, but in this iteration, a spacer rebellion is just as good. 
And I said that once Tellum was overcome, the folk of Ignis would follow Gale and Harry, though the kneeling part was a bit much. Not to mention that setting up of a goddess of uh, a goddess and a dying and rising god. Yes, Asimov believed that all cultures went through a religious phase, but no need to slather it on with a brush. Marilyn, what do you think about this feedback? <laughs> <laughs> Should I say that it's very insightful and beautifully crafted and all internet points are, are definitely worth rewarding? Here's your voucher. Shall I say? <laughs> I think we've discussed religion enough today on, I think uh, so. uh, on this podcast, but but yes, I I, so. I, I agree with you. I think that uh, some of it was a little bit on the nose, but I I didn't mind it. I think that there was enough intrigue with um with the blonde woman, the young woman who was yeah. who was making funny faces that yes. I was willing to excuse any cheesiness because I I, I think that we needed some simple. Uh, foundations, so to speak, a <laughs> so simple speak. foundation so that we could have those pieces of intrigue and not have to rewatch 20 times. Sure. Uh, Marilyn continues, uh, good to see <laughs> the link between Gale and Harry being formed by common purpose, shared experience and shared loss. I think folks have been a bit harsh with Gale. She was mostly a child when she left Synax, worshiping Harry Selden, who promptly got her into near execution and soon showed her how much his feet were made of clay. Traumatized, forbidden loved, uh, forbidden to love Raish in the end, set to sleep for 138 or whatever years, she wakes up to an older woman claiming to be a daughter she never gave birth to, is berated by her former mentor, etc., etc., and almost devoured by a mentalic monster. Bit of a tough road to hoe, if you ask me, and I think she did spectacularly. Yeah, um... Marilyn, I, I got to say, uh, after episode nine, I was still like, oh, Gail. And then episode 10, I I was much more pleased with Gail because of her whole tricking tell him, which I, I think you brought up perhaps a little bit too strong. Right. Um, perhaps Gail got a little bit too strong too quickly. Well, yeah, I mean, in terms of that, how realistic is it? But I. The scene where she, you know, we've, we've got the, the fuzzy lens at work when she's talking with Salvor and Salvor is saying, hey, we got to do this and the other thing. And Gail is saying, shut up, shut up, shut up. I figured that Gail finally was doing some active steps to block Tellum in some fashion. However, she'd figured out how to do that. That's, of course, the part that's a little dicey. But the no. whole how they rescued Harry, um, not quite jumping the shark but i thought i saw a fin or two in the water there. <laughs> <laughs> being circled um right. i would watch three more seasons of only gale before i watched another episode of only salver be honest like i i mm. much prefer gale storyline over salvers i was just thinking about this today david you know you you asked david goyer the other david uh, about his casting choices and how he was totally willing, you know, he said, I'm totally willing to have a man or a woman play, you know, uh, or any race, any, any right. national origin doesn't matter as long as they fit the character. And yet it seems to go completely against that, that Laura Harvey had to use an American accent when her accent was British. Yeah. Yeah. I, it's baffling to me because mm. I really think I would have liked the character better if her speech sounded more natural. Mm -hmm. It sounded affected. It mm -hmm. sounded like she was doing something that she was doing a bit. And mm. I didn't like that. I think that's what bothered me about Salver Harden the whole time. Right. 
Right. Interesting. Yeah. Sorry, Marilyn, to hijack your comment here, but I need, <laughs> Not to, I need somewhere to soapbox about this. <laughs> no, 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 no. Well, it's your own podcast. You can soapbox all you want. Yeah, that's right. My next paragraph does mention her, so. Oh, yeah. It's yeah, very okay. appropriate. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I just think it just it feels out of line with the culture of the show, right? Is is let people be themselves as long as they are embodying the character. I, I think that changing the accent was a very confusing decision to me. Anyway. I wonder if it was made to f- help distinguish Salvor from Gale. Maybe. I don't know. Well, Gale's not British either. Gale is um, South, South African. African and something mm-hmm. else. Yeah. All right. Let's move on to the next paragraph of your email, Marilyn. I'm glad the folk of Terminus survived, but the trope is getting to be a bit risky. All these miraculous survivals besides so many devastating deaths. Bell, Hober, Salver, though in her case, she had she was a warden to her core. So in that way, it was appropriate and it can feel a bit arbitrary who gets plot armor and who doesn't. Yeah, um, one thing I'll say is I thought Salver had massive plot armor until this episode, which was a major twist, right? Yeah, I would have bet money that she was in the three that make it to the final season. But they only had two cryopods. (laughs) yes sure oh you could you could get another cryopod harry could harry could design you one out of out of metallic grass or something i don't know he's 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 a genius glue and a bunch of vines from the jungle right he he could macgyver (laughs) it together yeah i i don't want to to sound i don't know what but um uh, it's you know because it's always tried to say oh well go listen to this other source but Go listen to the official podcast and for yeah. the final episode, because they do talk about this very issue about choosing mm-hmm. who uh, and how and why. And, and Goyer actually relates a, a quite a long story and quite a long sort of anecdote about how he had the conversation with Leah Harvey, how they you know broke the news to her. Oh, and I called talked. her Laura Harvey before. Sorry. <laughs> right. Um, so... Uh, so there's a lot of interesting insights there uh, if you go to the official podcast for for that. And for flashbacks are not impossible. Flashbacks are fine. Yep. That's okay. I don't need any flashbacks. What, what did you say? What, what's uh, your quote, John? Uh, um, everybody likes a trope as long as it's done well. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that's fair. And I, I did appreciate he said on another podcast, like, Okay, yeah, we saved a bunch of people you didn't think we were going to save, but we also killed off six main characters <laughs> in this episode. Right. It's not like the losses aren't there. Yeah. So I, I, I do think it's – they shouldn't do this every season. This will be terrible <laughs> if they do this every season. You got to be but careful. I'm fine with them doing it this time. Just don't keep doing that. Yeah. Uh, Marilyn continues, Day and Sarah's escape puts me right back into the fall of the Roman Empire, which suffered from rival claimants and split dynasties – as a part of its fall, though I admit I expected, I suspected that Bel Rios would fill that role as one of many rebellious generals. Tranter versus Cloud Dominion? I'm afraid I don't feel that Dominion has much of a chance, even with so much of the Imperial fleet destroyed. I don't know. The the uh, Now they have no spacers, right? Yeah. Nobody's got a chance except for the Foundation and their Whisper ships. So. Yeah. But they escape in, what do they escape in, Dominion? A, a sublight. I would I would assume that that's a sublight. That was quite so, a small craft. I think probably Tranter's got a few sublights hanging around. Yep. And but where are they going to go? I mean, were they 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 show them going off into space? So yeah, it's a it's yeah. a big open question. 
Yeah. Yeah. And where are all this, where are fleets number one through 19 currently yeah, exactly. housed and all that? Right. Also, they had the technology on the Invictus to jump without spacers. It's just that you would have to sacrifice a person every single oh, wow. time. That well, I know so it's not trivial. hard for the emperor. <laughs> it's not to do. trivial. But, Sacrifice a right, person. Exactly. Heaven exactly. forfend. <laughs> so I guess that's the question, right? Is is Empire going to go back to that old way, that's or have question. they lost the technology yeah. somehow? Right, mm. right. They, they, they could, did blow up the Invictus. That's gone. Yeah, yeah. they they oh, probably yeah. have the uh, they it, they would have to if we wanted to. I was in a thrift shop the other day and looking at some old tools and old drills and saws and things like that. And like, oh yeah, you know, the, what if I didn't have my Makita cordless, right? The, the knowledge is out there, but it would take some time for us to reconstruct and recompile and remember the lessons learned and stuff like that. But it's embedded out there. We can, right. we can do it again. Stone knives and bearskins. That's not, <laughs> and there are people, yeah. And the, the amazing thing is, is there's whole communities of people who are into that and and keep mm -hmm. that tradition those traditions alive which is not to mention sundials you know that's not yeah. the sundial right Marilyn finishes up saying uh <laughs> someone has to get in there and reset Demerzel's programming particularly with the mule on the horizon and how are the second foundationers on Ignis supposed to grow and develop while Harry and Gail are in cryo sleep I feel there is at least one teaching scene we didn't get to see before their sleep couches were set up and I'm worried about that blonde girl. Why couldn't tell him just leap from the dying Josiah into yet another body? And how long, oh, network moguls, must we wait until season three? All the best, Marilyn. <laughs> Thanks, Marilyn, for writing in. We always appreciate your feedback. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I appreciate um, your again. appreciation. <laughs> I, I do buy that tell him is gone because you you had a very specific situation when she jumped into... Josiah, which was she had just finished this, you know, detachment life transfer ritual. Mm -hmm. She was primed to do it. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't seem like she took him over very much. She just kind of had enough influence to get him to do one thing. Mm -hmm. That was mm -hmm. didn't. And doesn't he say that like it was like an echo of her or a remnant of her? Or yeah, it was, a, so. it was a tiny piece. And yeah, I don't know if we can believe him because he had her in there and he couldn't talk about her before. But he did say, I feel her dying with me. Right. So, you know, I hope he was right. Yeah. And that's the thing is, is if, if a show doesn't keep its word, if I can say mm. it that way, then when anything can happen and anybody can come back from the dead, then right. anybody's death has no stakes. Right. And then, then we, we saw that with meaning. Game of Thrones now, didn't we? Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and just to, you know, to, to rehash, you know, to relitigate the the Walking Dead, they really did it with Glenn and and the dumpster, and that really that's where a, there was a big mass exodus from the show was from there because it was suddenly like, why, right? Why do I care every week when you fake me out and then bring my favorite mm -hmm. back and then what does it mean? Don't like right. being jerked around emotionally. Yeah, right. And I think that you know, the I want to feel my feels. Right. I, the vault may be coming preciously close to that. We'll see. As Peter Frampton says, do you feel like we do? Mm. All right. <laughs> Vanessa sent an email to lorehounds at thelorehounds.com <laughs> where you can always get in touch with us no matter what show or topic. She says, hi, David and John. I didn't know where to put this as it is a book and it's my first post for you guys. 
I was also disappointed by the power of Foundation, as they definitely had invented some amazing technology, but lacked a basic understanding of Empire and relied too much on Harry. It makes sense since the religion to spread the word and hide the science actually became one. So why look beyond your God? I am sure that Constance prayer guide me through the darkness inadvertently converted trillions of people. Yeah. Um, that is, that is a good point. I mean, the, the warehouse church did look pretty depressing. Did. That did, that did make me go, Ugh. and it would have made more sense to me if they were expecting to go, if they were expecting this whole explosion to happen. But David Goyer actually made clear on a, on an interview they didn't know that they were being saved. Right. Yeah. Right. So I don't know. This foundation doesn't seem to be running very well. It, and again, I, you know, just back to my my point you made earlier, all I needed was one little scene to, you know, to to set that up mm-hmm. um, and, and that would have been fine. That's a lot of people to get into the a right, little vault, right. you know, the narrow, the doorway is a little bit narrow. Um, and yeah, the <laughs> when we see the street scenes of of Terminus. It's a dusty, horrible looking place after how many years they've been there and they're still living sort of just barely above a Quonset hut level of, you know, temporary shelter. It's a, a, seems like a pretty grubby existence to live on, on Terminus. See, that all makes sense to me because the books, Mm -hmm. they, they had one time when one person delivered a line about a scarcity of metals on this planet. And that was a major part of Selden's whole thought process was because minerals were so scarce, uh, they were forced to go a to seek. develop a miniaturized technology. Oh, mm. oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah. And they were churning out all kinds of different devices, including the much loved atomic ashtray. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it was the 1940s. What can we say? Yeah. So uh, as a book reader, that knowledge is there for me. And so it doesn't, bother me as much got it i also think that there we saw the foundation at one of those nexus points where there were a whole bunch of people that were all ready to gear up for war yep and if that's what you're ready for then you're not going to spend money on upgrading your luxuries right right i mean you you, particularly if you have limited resources good point you're gonna put put a poster up of harry the riveter (laughs) (laughs) she who rivets (laughs) Oh boy! But still, they develop whisper ships and personal auras, and you know, so they're getting it in. They're getting it in, right? Um, right. But well, Vanessa continues. Who talked about worlds darkness and hopelessness? Bell. He did become part of an atrocity, but he knew that he was about to become part of one. Yeah, no, I I like this idea that the the what the, the there's a a point here of this issue is Bell is acting with state authority. Right. He is. Mm -hmm. um, And it's part of the order and control of the universe. And if the emperor says, destroy this planet, destroy this planet, it's part of the order of things versus the darkness and the hopelessness, which is the disorder with warlords and and slavery and, and, you know, where the weak uh, become, I forget what Bell says, but basically they just become objects and become preyed upon by those who have power. But yet, well, you know, what's better, having the Empire order a lawful extermination of an entire planet or to be, you know, living under a, a warlord society? What's better there? I, I don't know. And the fact that Bell is at the nexus of those um, two 
balancing force, not balancing forces, but those two forces uh, uh, that are in operation in the universe is interesting. I think it's an interesting conundrum for him to be in. Right. I think, well, I think he even says, you know, he had hoped that, quote unquote, just destroying one planet yes, would, would satisfy it. mm-hmm. Day. It was when Day announced, no, we're going to, we're going to wipe them all out. Right. That he said, okay, I'm done. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Vanessa continues, Demerzel figured out that Dusk and Rue discovered her secret, i.e. she had some type of alarm system. Simply Safe is another... I'm just kidding. We're not doing anything. <laughs> no sponsor. No, not sponsored. Uh, she decides to leave Day, told him why, and expects that he will be killed by Bell. Thus, why she picked him. Hmm. I am sure that he is more vulnerable even with his aura and guards. She seemed to have tears in her eyes as she watched Terminus be destroyed, not because she left day, but the dynasty will be over sooner uh, rather than later, as the mule is only 150 years away from this moment. Yeah. 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 This is something we talked about earlier, right? Is there even going to be an empire in season three? Right. And this idea of what what emotions does Demerzel experience and does she authentically spontaneously experience emotions mm. or are they only in relationship? Does she have only an emotional response when she's interacting with other human beings, which interesting now that I think about it, when she rips her face off in mm-hmm. season one, mm-hmm. that's a pretty self, you know, Hey, I'm by myself. I'm not performing yes. for anybody here. And I'm having an emotional reaction to the f- point that I'm ripping my skin off. That's a yeah. pretty strong reaction. And even when she's talking to brother Dawn, she's not loudly crying. He can't tell she's crying, but she's tearing up and she's, she's becoming very emotional about this. Again, mm-hmm. we could question, is this because of the chip of the Tic Tac, but it, it, it could be genuine too. I think she does feel genuinely motherly affection to this Dawn. Right. I think she feels that way to all the Dawns. Because mm-hmm. each dawn is a new possibility for bringing things back into alignment. And mm-hmm. if she can have that kind of relationship with the dawn, maybe, just maybe the day will be of a little better quality. That's but I keep, I keep thinking back to first season and her, the fact that she walked the spiral. Granted, it was 10,000 years ago, but she never forgets anything, right? And that Halima says to her, I think you do have a soul. Mm-hmm. I think we're meant to remember those things. And we will definitely because she uh, we see her little bracelet and the little salt yes. crystal a couple of times in this season. There was I'm not remembering where it was the one scene where she really seizes it very tightly mm-hmm. at one point. Do you guys remember which one that was? I don't remember okay. the scene, but I remember. Uh, the, I, think I remember it was. I think she seized it when. No, no, no. I lost it. I lost it. Just, just go on. Just go <laughs> well, on. Well, write it and tell us, listeners. And, you know, well, as I say, I'm, I'm, I'm it'll going be, through. Post it on the Discord. Post it on the Discord. There because, we go. Yeah, yeah. There we go. There we go. If you have access to the Discord. Yes. Let us let us know which, which scene that was. Uh, Vanessa continues. So we've had many balls in the air for this story. We have the spacers as they did something for Hober, which he noticed when they took the cuffs off him. Uh, I don't know why he antagonized an unstable day. Maybe he has a crazy plan like going to Trantor. I believe that he wanted to get them out of their cell. 
and he is overconfident and does not think about consequences. However, I find him to be extremely intelligent, which is necessary to be a good con man, but could make him short-sighted. We also have the thing that switches bodies and combine all this with so much grief and anger from Bell, Constant slash Hober. Who knows what will happen today, but I think the Spacers are coming in for the win. Well, good job on your predictions. Internet points points to the max. There you go. Yes. If you You visit our Discord server, we'll send you an emoji with internet points. This is too long already, but uh, the sound that sound that Salver used to save Gale may have broken whatever hold that Talum used to keep all the metallics under her thumb. Between hmm. the tears from Ahsoka and the tears of excitement over this episode, it was a great week of television. Thanks for everything you do, Vanessa. Yeah, it's been a great week in television, and Wheel of Time has also been really good. So um, I hope you'll join us over there if you want more great TV. As we're recording this, uh, there's chatter in the Discord at uh, how good the Ahsoka episode, Ahsoka 6, episode 6 is tonight. So. Oh, I haven't seen it yet. Oh. Okay. Well, I think it's time we do our show notes now yes. because we got to get over to this. We got TV to watch here, guys. Come on. We got, right. we got our, our other show to watch. All right, David, we did already record everything for this podcast, but... We've discovered a couple other feedback emails that we wanted to fit in. I know yes. uh, Duve wrote in a, a nice long email, and Kim M sent the email to the a different email address other than that's inactive. Uh, so we got it now that it's come through our contact form, and we're going to do those both now. Yes, and the for Duve that was my fault because uh, I I pasted his feedback into the foundation or sorry into the uh, wheel of time feedback document and Uh-oh. not the <laughs> so wheel weaves yes it does all right so uh yeah to kick us off on this special segment lore master and friend of the pod Duve 71 says hi john and david first thanks for the outstanding coverage of foundation this season particularly with having to juggle three other big shows at the same time plus all the other side projects you've got on the boil as a loyal patreon supporter i salute you And we salute you, sir. Thank you so much. On this episode, on on this episode, on this email, to keep it fairly short, (laughs) it's like 10 paragraphs. I know. It's going to keep it short. I'll just do a combined episode 10 and season feedback. Otherwise, you'd be editing this for brevity. I was much more on the John end of the spectrum of enjoying the season finale. And whilst there were nits to pick, I've adopted a more sanguine approach to my genre content as long as you don't quote unquote lost me as in the the television show Mm -hmm. lost. I'm cool with a few show and writing gymnastics to get us to a conclusion. This season felt distinctly different from season one, which felt a little bit more cerebral. This season was the action season. In my humble opinion, I've mentioned before, this isn't a bad thing per se. Apple have invested a lot of bucks into this, And if casual viewers tune in for epic space battles or for a bit of Lee Pace thirst and then stay, then I'm okay with it if it gives David S. Goyer the ability to deliver this story to a satisfying conclusion. Yeah. 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 I agree with that. I think that uh, you need you need some candy to bring people in. I noticed that the trailers and teasers and all that stuff, the pre media hype stuff was much more full of explosions and dramatic uh Action. And so I think that's very much in line with that is like, um, yeah, entice people in. So in totality, this season and the way you guys got access to screeners has been really ramped up, uh, has really ramped up the ability for us viewers to indulge in some great speculation. 
And it's a real treat to hear some of our weird and wonderful ideas come uh, either to fruition or get completely trashed with a brilliant blindside from the showrunners. <clears throat> Markley. <clears throat> uh, <laughs> a couple of things from this finale. I am leaning towards a more sci-fi concept of how, for how the vault saved Foundation. In the show, it really looked like the population went up with the destruction of Trantor. We even had an image of Polly kneeling as the ground erupted around him. So I think the vault has already digitally stored the foundation. Okay, this is an interesting uh, thought. And who uh, we are seeing are the digital copies of the population. Hmm. As you mm. constantly say, we don't know the capabilities of the vault and it's timey-wimey, TARDIS-like, bigger on the inside than on the outsideness. It could explain how it was able to save everyone. Let's see what completely out of the blue expect, uh, explanations we get or not get. As I said, this is a wondrous, uh, as I said, this is the wondrous nature of the show. We can uh, come up with completely outlandish theories and it's all part of the fun. Thoughts? I could shut this down right now with a post on David Goyer's uh, website. Okay. But, <laughs> um, if you want to keep believing, Duve, go ahead. But if not, <laughs> so if you want to keep believing, skip ahead a minute. But I will tell you that the there was a scene that I discussed in the in the wrap up in the the main body of the wrap up about how they had Polly kind of questioning Harry and mm -hmm. that was supposed to be on New Terminus which was a new planet that they were settling with the vault mm -hmm. and they I guess they it was too expensive for them to film a whole new planet but yeah they I don't think they're digital I think that okay. they were very intended to be physical yeah um yeah and I don't want to over litigate the the thing but yeah that was one of the things was like okay you know, and, and, and like Duve says, it's fine. I I'm fine with where we ended up. I don't have any problem with the destination of all the characters endpoints in this season. Yeah. So yeah. Goodbye, Josiah. We barely knew thee. I'm taking <laughs> John's comment of the USB knife. Josiah's essence lives and will become the mule. Okay. With that bit of tell him along for the ride. I don't remember, remember saying this, but thanks for the credit. <laughs> remember how horrified she was when confronted with the mule when Gail took her to the future a bit of recognition question mark question mark straws mm. being clutched at I need those internet points all right so he's putting out a big bet here will all right. will the mule right. be some sort of Josiah tell him fine <laughs> <laughs> I want Josiah I you know what I want the mule to be someone completely unrelated and my yeah. favorite writing with this would be if the mule was forged into the monster he is by fear of Gale, and Gale only was chasing him because of her vision of the future, creating a self-fulfilling prophecy and time mm -hmm. loop that created a monster and created this adversarial relationship. Right. I'm not going to say too much more because I do have a, a distant memory of the echo of the books, and I don't want to okay. get my, my speculation uh, and preferences to be sort of uh, woven in with the books. So I'll just sort of, I, I'm happy to go along for the ride with the mule, see what they bring us. But All I right. do agree that it'd be fun to bring in a completely outsider. So let's get muley with it there. <laughs> Very good. Lee Pace killed his part as day to season building on the great work of season one. The days we've seen have increasingly become erratic, petulant and childlike stuck repeating past mistakes, but just on a larger scale. 
Lee Pace was definitely channeling some Tyler Durden, old man movie fight club energy <laughs> in his fisticuffs with Bell Rios. And the payoff of the castling device was perfect. Yeah, I agree. That was a great death for this day. Was yeah. thinking that he won and then just being outside of a ship. And going back, it kind of mirrors the in the season, right? So the first thing that we see, well, the second thing that we see Lipe's doing is fighting off the blind angels. <laughs> and so for his character to go out um, in that same fashion, I think is a nice bit of uh, a storytelling. Yeah, so. I think that's right. Yep. With Sarah, and yeah, Lee Pace, boy, uh, I would love to see him some uh, awarded some recognition for his work because his his character is a treasure. Season. Absolutely, it's and he's grown. I think he's. I I can I feel I have a sense that as the actor individual Lee Pace, he has grown in his ability to act. His craft has improved because of this performance, and I think that's awesome. Yeah. I, I think people, even if even if uh, he was respected before this, I think this has been a big showcase of his talents. For I know, sure. I know, my wife has been into him since Throned Wheel. <laughs> right, right, that's right. Insane. Wheel, yeah, he was. He was really like it was an odd portrayal in a good way. You know, he was very like spooky and and he was a jerk, mysterious. <laughs> yeah, but I re- yeah, but like the way he like moved his face mm. was very alien almost interesting and it yeah. was it was a really cool performance and he's got to show more of his range here yeah for sure with seraphin dawn on the lamb i am keen to hear what marilyn and anthony make of a new power base emerging to threaten empire based on their child i don't think we really got into that since especially since we're recording well after the fact um mm-hmm. he continues we've got a lot of analogous history of the usurper and we'll need some scholarly takes, I think to ruminate on while we waste for the studios to grow some ethics. <laughs> Indeed. We'll there are plenty the paper of paper from Maryland, right? Right. <laughs> we need to turn our, our actual lorehounds.com website into an academic publishing clearinghouse there you go. Uh, for all of our scholarly uh, articles. Yeah. Season three, who knows? And yeah, there's plenty of historical analogs. So, uh, continuing, we saw the destruction of the entire 20th fleet at Trantor. Now, I don't expect that wipes out the full ma- military capabilities of Empire, but it must leave a serious vacuum, especially around Terminus. Maybe the 20th was the quote unquote home fleet. We know Dominion has its own power base plus other planets on the rim. I wonder how Terminus will fare with potential enemies surrounding them. Hmm. I think the big thing here is no spacers. Yeah, the, so they're going to have to go at the speed of, you know, whatever whatever they Near can Near light, yeah, the, as <laughs> yeah. fast as they can go. So, right. yeah, that's going to make things a lot difficult, a lot more difficult for Foundation or for Empire to to manage uh, all the things they right. got. Or, or they set up a draft of people to do the one-time space reveal, right. which right. will, I think that'll make them lose supporters pretty quick. Or the spacers become chome. Which is the um, <laughs> in Dune? That is the uh, faction that controls folding space, uh, and then they are just a giant commercial outfit. They're like a giant petroleum company or something like that that has global. Did you say Dune? I've never heard of that. No, is it interesting? That's a it's a little known work out of the sixties. <laughs> How you doing? All right. 
Final feedback. Just give me more and more Demerzel and robot lore. What is the mental toll on her? She is having to carry out her directives even when it's obviously contrary to what she'd like to do. She is a sentient being with real feelings. And to look at the facial tics and the hand wringing she is doing when she's telling Dawn how she will have to hunt him down. This is taking a toll, and I'm sure we're going to see some more of this in the coming seasons. I've added some papers and articles at the end of this email from academics about the potential negative effects of giving robots sensations and emotions. It's interesting, but also terrifying, particularly if we put robots into hazardous or demeaning situations. We don't have a great track record as a species when we have a class of being subservient with little agency. Uh, yeah, John, he lists uh, several articles here. I don't know if we want to try and do something with those. We certainly don't have time to run those no, down right no. now. Um, maybe I'll but, throw those into the um, into the Discord, uh, the Foundation okay. Channel Discord. That sounds good. I can do that right now. Uh, wraps up still so much to chew over. Oh, well, and I, I did want to go back to one thing and we didn't really talk about this in the breakdown, but I was thinking about this, that final goodbye that Dawn says to Demerzel. I'm hope you're happy. I truly do. Ooh, I'm going to get chills here in a second. Um, and he's, he goes, I truly think that, you know, you would have been a good mother had it, you not been programmed to. That was just so sweet and tender and just, yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, and just so heart wrenching for Demerzel to hear those words. Uh, so it was, it was really, it was a really poignant motion moment in the, in the show. Yeah. Yeah. It was. Um, and, and again, I'm really curious that she did cry and it, and there was no one around to watch. There was yeah. some kind of genuine emotional reaction there. Yeah. Yeah. And I think as Dew says that, you know, there's a true sentience there. So if yeah. does, does sentience require emotion? I don't know. That's a good question. Maybe that's something that the show is starting to explore. Maybe. All right. Uh, still so much to chew over, but as I said, I don't want to monopolize the time you guys have. I can now see season two of The Wheel of Time. Yay! And of course, we just had uh, Doof send in his first Wheel of Time feedback. So mm -hmm. uh, he uh, concludes, here's to Bark, to Bark, here's to Becky's arse, Stu, aka Doof71. Thanks, it's To Becky's arsehole. Yeah, I don't like saying arsehole. I like just well, saying arse. I'm going to say it. <laughs> Fair enough. Cool. Thanks, Duve. Uh, appreciate all of your feedback all season long. And thanks for joining us over on Wheel of Time. Let's now jump over to Kim M. Kim says, hi, guys. Whoa, I didn't see coming some of those twists and turns. I don't know how or when, but I knew that Bell, Glaywin, and the Spacers were going to turn against Empire. I didn't think it would happen until next season, though. Day got everything he deserved. I wanted to see him suffer by the end. My feelings for Demerzel have been a real roller coaster. Indeed. I go from between feeling compassion and understanding to hate and disappointment. Now she has a prime radiant, which will make her more powerful, but I can't help wondering if Harry has now infiltrated Empire's mainframe via that prime radiant. That's a good thought. What do you think? Um, yeah. Yeah, I think that uh, there will be some kind of communication between the two radians. I think that's not going to go away. Right. And Harry, knowing, I mean, th she didn't take it unknowingly. Like, this is, mm -hmm. again, within Harry's plan. So, Well, I mean, but but the, the Harry who gave it to her doesn't have a prime radian anymore. Correct. So, so second foundation. This is going to have to be a discovery. And also, 
the second foundation doesn't have a, a weak carry who knows how to use the prime radiant. Right. So right. she's going to be in the dark with it for 150 years. But then second foundation is going to have men- mental skills. So, so yeah, mm-hmm. it's going to be interesting. It's going to yeah. be interesting to see what plays out. Uh, she continues. Maybe he knew all along. She wouldn't change. She and day have become some of my all time TV favorite TV villains. What an incredible performance by Laura Byrne and Lee Pace. The whole cast really sad to see Hober, Bell and Salver go, but not tell him she was, <laughs> she was a real wanker. Yeah, I'm going to be, she was. yeah, she was, but be brilliantly acted by, uh, mm-hmm. Rachel house. So yes. Uh, I'm going to predict brother uh, having Hober's child next season. Yeah, I'm on board with that theory. Yeah. Um, And maybe I'll win some internet points for that. So I can't wait for next season. I know it's going to be a long wait, but well worth it. Thank you, David and John. Best, Kim M. Thanks, Kim. Do you think that uh, Hober's child is going to be named Marsh? Marsh? Wait, wait. Marsh (laughs) Mallow. That's as good a joke that belongs in Becky's ass. <laughs> so, Kim, thanks for your support and sorry for the confusion on the emails. Um, I think we'll set up the little foundation thing. It's empire at thelorehounds.com, but I'll, it makes sense to have a foundation one that, that directs yeah. back. So, especially because next season there might not be an empire. So, we'll, we'll see where that goes. That's a very good point. So, <laughs> Thanks. I'm glad we were able to get these last two in. Uh, John, thanks for everything. It was a great season and looking forward to season three. Well, David, we've got our affiliates. Let's just quickly give an overview. You heard Maester Anthony today, and he's over on Properly Howard Movie Review, where they are currently covering remakes. They're about to do The Wicker Man. They just did The Departed. They're having a great time. You don't have to watch the movies to enjoy the content. It is just fun pop culture banter nonsense. Then we have Wool Shift Dust, kind of a little bit on a break right now, but coming in strong in October. I'm not sure how much we're allowed to say about Alicia's projects yet, so we'll let her tell you more about those, but definitely subscribe to her feed so you stay up to date with that. Yep, she's got stuff in the works for sure. Yep. So For us, we've got our three shows. Well, one is done, Foundation's done, but we've still got Ahsoka and Wheel of Time. In October, we're going to be back on our monthly shows or our our, uh, ongoing shows. Marilyn is, of course, the lead on our Earthsea series, and we will be jumping back into the Isles of Earthsea. We've got uh, the Star Wars Film Fest. We're going to get back to uh, the Clone War. Wait, what? Revenge of the Sith. Revenge of the Sith. Thank Mm -hmm. you. (laughs) Lost in my titles. We're also going to be covering uh, Loki. Uh, season two in yes. full with uh, Jean and uh, Alicia. So we're getting and the you crow and not you <laughs> as you keep. And then I think we're going to do a one shot for the creator, which is a movie that's going to be on um, Apple TV, which looks very cool. And we're figuring out what we're going to do with fall of the house of Usher, because we know Alicia's got a bunch of stuff on there. And so we're going to intertwine with what she's doing uh to cover that on netflix so it's gonna be a nice month october i think yeah we'll keep it spooky yes all right it's true and we're gonna have spooky for second breakfast you're gonna have some spooky movies right i do i have a list of spooky movies they were originally a twist of uh, a a list of twist movies and Mm -hmm. you said these are all spooky let's just do it for halloween perfect all right fine yep yep okay marilyn thanks for being with us tonight Oh, it's always a joy and a pleasure, gentlemen. Thank you. 
David. And, uh, thanks to Anthony, uh, who uh, was uh, sadly had to, had to leave quickly. But yeah, it was so fun. I, I got a thrill of excitement when I was hearing Hittites and Sumerians being discussed <laughs> in relationship to a, you know a sci-fi TV show. So right. And actually, I have a question: Are we doing a Silmarillion in October as well? There, we will be doing a Silmarillion stories in October. So. Yeah. Right. Fear not, dear listener. There will be Tolkien back again. And lastly, as we always like to do, we love to give a shout out to our Patreon lore master, our top tier subscribers. All of our subscribers are really important to us. They help keep us uh, moving and uh, keep the lights on over here. But to our lore masters, a special thank you in the form of a shout out. Samartian, Cyrus, Mark H., Michael G., Michelle E., David W., Brian P., Nick W., SC, Peter O.H., Bettina W., Adam S., Nancy M., Lavinia T., Duve 71, Brian 8063, Frederick H., Sarah L., Gareth C., Eric F., Matthew M., Sarah M., DJ Miwa, Andra B., Kwong Yu, Laura G., Deadeye Jedi Bob, Nathan T., Alex V., and Aaron T. Whew, that's 30 names, John. That is an incredible amount Woo-hoo! of support. Yeah, so, and, thank and you we've all. got over 100 patrons now, so we're, we're yeah. very excited. We finally very broke that ceiling. things down. Yep. Yeah. All right, David, Marilyn, it's been a pleasure speaking to you about Foundation. I'm sure we'll all reconvene for Earthsea and perhaps some Silmarillioning next yes. month. We'll see you then. Sounds good. Thanks, guys. The Lorehounds podcast is produced and published by The Lorehounds. You can send questions and feedback and voicemails at thelorehounds.com slash contact. Get early and ad-free access to all Lorehounds podcasts at patreon.com slash thelorehounds. Any opinions stated are ours personally and do not reflect the opinion of or belong to any employers or other entities. Thanks for listening. A new Star Wars journey begins in the place all good journeys begin. At, well, the beginning. This Star Wars Day, I'm excited to introduce the new Star Wars Canon Timeline Podcast, where we will piece together the complete story of that galaxy far, far away, in timeline order, from the dawn of the Jedi through the great unknown following the sequel trilogy. This is a podcast for both Star Wars superfans and complete newbies. Listen to the short intro episode now to hear how it works and what to expect over the coming weeks as we set the stage for the new television series The Acolyte, which we will be covering with weekly breakdowns. Subscribe to the Star Wars Canon Timeline podcast wherever you listen to take part in one of the most epic and expansive stories ever told, following all the twists and turns from start to finish. May the 4th be with you all, all month and beyond.